the Academy Award-winning director, Steven Soderbergh. Brett Favre claims not to know what a podcast is. Did you know I have a podcast, Brett? Did you know that? Um, no, you don't know what a podcast is. <laughs> Reggie Wayne, Brett Edward. I had a, a, a pet snake mm-hmm. by the name of Law. I'm not a snake fan. I don't like snakes. Why is a snake in the house? I get a, a, a text on my two-way. Law dead. <laughs> Chris Cooley threatened to prank call me. Ivan, how are you? This is David Dunn. Got you, sucker. No, you didn't because I'm recording this thing right oh, now, I dude. Love it. This you're is the, the podcast. Uh, you're the Andy best. Reed did not call Tim Tebow last night. <laughs> too much. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us. I'm Richard Eisen. I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the Rich Eisen Podcast. Here's your host, Rich Eisen. Welcome to the latest edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast, coming to you from our Culver City studios, nestled uh, in the second floor of one of the many buildings that NFL Network occupies in our complex here down the street from the Sony Studios in Culver City, California. Uh, I am your humble host, Rich Eisen. Uh, Chris Law, once again, away from his post. That is some Chris vacation Brockman. he's on right now. Well, I, he, he, I believe, is going to call in later from oh, really? Music City. Oh, He's in Nashville, Tennessee. Rich, it'll um, be a miracle if we get him on the phone. Well, I think he's going to account for himself and that... Uh, while it seems like our latex salesman is on the boondoggle of boondoggles, he's apparently been in New York working. Oh, um, really? Yes, doing stuff oh, for the network okay. in New York. I believe he said a site survey. Is a that... site survey, and then there was a wedding an industry on the weekend. And then he asked if it was okay to work out of the New York office for a few days so he could then take personal days to go to the wedding that he's currently at now in Nashville. Wow. He goes from wedding to wedding and, and bachelor party to bachelor party and working on site. Seriously, and, and then he did text us to say that he wants to phone in to defend himself, defend himself because we've been kind of giving him the business. So that means it's a second week in a row for the latex salesman in training, the LSIT of the Rich Eisen podcast. Alex Wilk, how are you there, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. Um, so, any time it's just you know. The 10 years now that we've been doing this, again, our 10-year anniversary on NFL Network is coming up um, in November. Right. And it's funny that Law isn't here because I am going to a meeting later after we tape this <laughs> in relation to the 10th anniversary that we're everyone is beginning to start thinking about what the network's going to do right. internally and externally to celebrate this. Of course. So they've asked people who have been here since day one to participate. It's probably a short list now. Since day one? Yeah. Yeah, it's getting shorter. Yeah. But I'm one of them. I think I was technically employee six. I think Eric Weinberger, our executive producer, was employee two. Technically, Steve Bornstein Steve was, was employee one. one. Right. Yeah. And um, at any rate, um, I have a meeting later on. I actually got a Microsoft oh, Outlook really? invitation. And, I you, had to, and you hit? I had a check, the green check, accept. accept. I accepted. Yep. And I felt like Chris Law for a second. <laughs> I channeled my inner law. With the Microsoft Outlook, you'd invitation. really be you'd really be uh, channeling your inner law if you tweeted out a picture yes. of all the meetings you have Correct. going on that day. Well, it's because he's defending himself because we're all over of him. Of course, but um, at any rate, um, if in the ten years that we've been doing this, I, I mean, it it just happens every single summer where 
people are wondering, what do we talk about on NFL Network? I believe the comedian Jim Gaffigan, I retweeted one of his tweets. I, I saw that. Last weekend, he's like basically making fun of what NFL Network's talking about right now, you know? And uh, we call it here at NFL Network the non-playing season because there's a playing season and a non-playing season. There is no such thing as an off-season. And what's going on right now in New England on we're taping this uh, uh, mid-afternoon Eastern time on the 20th, Thursday the 20th of June, because this story is so uh, developing and breaking and fluid, as they say in the business. I mean, in the last 48 hours. We, this, this could be dated. Right. Like, we may have to retape what we're doing right now it's an hour from so now. It's taken so many twists and turns. If we're still in the podcast studio, right? Right. It's so many twists and turns. What's going on with Aaron Hernandez right now is 100% affecting what's what 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 could happen with the New England season because it's reached the point whether he gets arrested or not and charged or not uh it's reached the point where can you call it a distraction or that that is that's I think when somebody's dead with a bullet in the back of their head you know thrown in the weeds of a, of a, a bucolic <laughs> suburban community near Foxborough Mass distraction I think is is a word tinged with um uh disrespect <laughs> yeah and so what's going on with Aaron Hernandez right now is without a doubt going to affect the 2013 New England Patriots season even if he is charged and then released in his own recognizance or or, or pays bond or whatever or he's not arrested at all his presence in New England is going to be filled when the media is all over there and also fans when he's on the road. I mean, this is some serious stuff that's going on right now with her, Aaron Hernandez. And as it currently stands, as we are talking right now, ABC News is all over this story. All over it. And uh, they're, uh, uh, police are back at Aaron Hernandez's house right now with a search warrant. For a third straight day. Because, uh, according to... ABC News and law enforcement and sources uh, and an investigator involved in this. So it's more than one source saying that um, the reason why the police are back there is because there's evidence that Hernandez destroyed his home security system. Wow. On, uh, I guess, Monday or, or Tuesday. And, um, and also uh, sources confirmed that the security system was smashed intentionally. And that cell phone, uh, Hernandez's cell phone was handed over to investigators, quote-unquote, in pieces by his attorneys. And also uh, a report from ABC News that he hired maids to clean his house. <laughs> Maybe his house was dirty. I mean, it just, it looks really bad. It looks terrible. Okay. I mean, those aren't the moves of someone who wants to be forthright and... Now, again, we, we talk about this because technically, with no arrests, no charges, no nothing, there is no there there, okay, in that regard. But if there's no fire, there's we, we, could, we could be in trouble with smoke inhalation right now. There's so much smoke. And 
we, you know, there was a report that was out earlier of somebody, I guess, from Boston.com saying that he's hearing an arrest is imminent. And I tweeted out, hey, I mean, if we essentially just paraphrasing, yeah. if we, did we not learn anything from the Boston Marathon? Right. Yeah, for <laughs> that, sure. Uh, that law enforcement sources say an arrest is imminent. I mean, until it until somebody's in cuffs, don't did, report it. Did you see the footage just, following him as he drove yeah, sort to of Gillette like, today? Like, it's like Goodfellas. Yeah. Like Ray Liotta with looking up and there's a helicopter. Helicopters all And over. then, you know, my my buddy uh, from ESPN, Hal, Hal Wingo III, Three Sticks, Trey, tweeted out, it's like Shades of 94, following his white car. You know, people are waving at him as he's going away. By the way, almost to the day. The OJ thing was June 17th. I know. Yeah. So, I don't know what in the world's going on down there, but if Hernandez somehow, some way isn't charged... And I, it, 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 it boggles the mind that he had nothing to do with this. But, again, you're, you're innocent until you're proven guilty in this country, and he's not charged and arrested with anything we're talking about right now. So in terms of the Patriots season, you're taking a look, and I, I, I'm saying this fully aware that there's a dead body who, by the way, the person uh, who is the victim in this case is dating the sister of the mother of Aaron Hernandez's daughter. So to, I guess, clean that up in a way, to he's dating the sister of, of Hernandez's baby's mama. And so he knew the guy. I guess he tweeted out. He texted a friend saying, I'm, I'm, I'm in the car with, name the three other people, including Aaron Hernandez. Right. So they know that he was there. I mean, again, there's so many pieces of evidence that they're meticulously, I guess, or painstakingly... Putting together, so I again I say this fully with that caveat that I understand that there is a dead body involved here, but the Patriots for the 2013 season, their vaunted two tight end system, that they have placed many eggs into that basket, a right? Of, a lot of money. They have made. This is a, a contract that 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 Hernandez made a lot of money. I mean, the if if Hernandez is guilty of all this stuff, they'll they'll get that signing bonus no, back. No, but what I mean, I'm saying is but that no, they, they, they've invested a lot sure. in these well, two guys. What I'm, not just that, I'm talking personnel, how they've built their team. How they've built their team. Well, can you name that another they, wideout? It's, it's all about the tight they ends. They have built their team this way. Right. Okay? And Welker's gone. Okay? And now when Welker was left, they got Gronk and they've got Aaron Hernandez moving forward with Brady. Well, this very week, when supposedly nothing's supposed to take place of note in the National Football League, Gronkowski in Marina Del Rey, just down the street here, has his fifth back surgery of the non-playing season. Fifth. Fifth surgery. Yes, fifth surgery period, right? Not right. just in his back. Right. On, his, on his wrist, I mean, on his the forearm, forearm he had and his back. And his fifth back. surgery of this non-playing season. Fifth. And uh, Dr. Watkins, who, by the way, looked at my back. Oh, really? When I was, yeah, when uh, when I had some issues late last year, which, by the way, was still lingering when I ran my 40-yard dash. Just mm. saying. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> excuses, don't talk about, excuses. No, you don't talk about it when you're going through it, but that's the way you do it in after, this business. After, you, the, after fact, the fact, right. you, you just let it slip in certain sources and whatever, and I don't have sources to let it slip to, so I just talk about it. You're your own source, Myself, Rich. I'm my own source, sort of sad. But... Um, Dr. Watkins said it's successful and his return to the field will depend on his progress in rehab, which, if you read between the lines, is don't knee your friend in the balls and body slam him shirtlessly in Las Vegas. (laughs) 
I think is good what, advice for everyone. But a, you know, a doctor is not going to put that in a in a release. You know, a doctor of note like like Doctor Watkins. Those aren't technical. T- yes, know, there's meta- no. Those aren't right. medical terms. I think it's outside of the Hippocratic oath, right, to say such things. So they leave it to us in the media. We're, we'll gladly say that. I think that is what he's saying to. But Gronk, that, that's what Gronkowski's like right now on June 20th. And the other tight end is involved in this craziness, this insanity that looks terrible. I mean, it looks really bad. Really bad. And I am trying to do some serious mental gymnastics to try and figure out how he had nothing to do with this. Based on what we have, that's very hard to do. But you can't. It's, you, yeah, you can't. You it's can't not there guilt, yet. It's not there yet. He's not. But he's, it's hard. But it sure seems like something's coming. And that's what. But you take a look at the rest of the AFC East. I, I, I still, I still don't see how this opens up that division, unless something is happening in Miami that we we don't know about now, that will somehow, some way, manifest itself positively on the field with year two of of Coach um, Philbin. Philbin, and obviously with Tannehill. Tannehill and Mike Wallace and the running backs, the youthful running backs they have there. But this is a, a brutal week for the 2013 New England Patriots right now. It's not great. It's not great. <laughs> it's, you can't I, say anything I can't say anything else. I mean, what are you going to say? As a Patriot fan, you've got to be in Tom we trust, in Bill we trust. In Bill we trust, that's it. And you just got to have faith that it's uh, going to work itself out and they'll figure out a way to move forward. Is it with number five playing tight end, I was Rich? just going to say. Why? I was just going to say. Not. Why not? I Come mean, on, man. Na- Why not? If not now, we're, re- when? we're really getting ahead of our. No, I mean, of, this of is, course we are. We're getting I mean, way ahead. I but mean, this is like the the Preakness Field before the horse. I mean, the cart the cart before the Preakness Field right now. But it's June twentieth. You know? Why not speculate? I know, because because there's still stuff to talk about. You know, I mean, that is what is going on in the National Football League right now. I mean, this is, is that discussion. I mean, you, th- you think Bill was uh, ducking those Tebow questions last week. I'm sure he's welcoming them now. So I was thinking about, do we get somebody from the Boston area on? But what is there to talk about right now? Things are so fluid and yeah. nothing concrete has happened. And there's no way that, again, everything we've just said is, is all speculation based on reports. And um, Right, because there's been no police press conference. To, to There's been nothing. Discuss any of this? They, well, they sent out a. They sent out a. The one release that they got was confirming it was based on the coroner's a report. Homicide. A homicide. Right. That's it. And they haven't mentioned not once as Aaron Hernandez been mentioned in any press release that they've sent out. But we have seen because of the media stalking. <laughs> that's probably a, a very difficult word there. Obviously, the media setup in front of the uh, front of his house. We've seen his comings and goings and who's been knocking on his door. And the cops have knocked on their door, and they're looking through the house. But based on what a- ABC News is saying, they're not going to find anything in there because he seems they, he scrubbed that place clean. Man. I mean, did he take a bat to his security system? I mean, I did. I did just see on a plane office like. space one of the best <laughs> <laughs> scenes in office space is when they took a bat. To the, uh, to, the, copy to the copy machine, copy machine, right? That they after they got fired, <laughs> he drove it out in the middle. I of mean, the did he really take a bat? To, I, I mean. Again, there's and, no and reason his, to speculate. And his phone and... That's what's happening Ugh. right now. Um, w- some other items uh, going on in the NFL. Um, uh, Justin Smith signed by the 49ers. And the 49ers and the um, Seahawks 
in this non-playing season. They this don't is, like each other, Rich. Well, that's been going back and forth with the, uh, you know. I'm getting that impression. Well, Jim Harbaugh kind of stirred the pot yeah, last week. Right, didn't he? What do you say again? He was talking about uh, the suspensions that they've been having and whether or not to trust the source. And he's like, oh, well, you know, Adderall has been a very uh, convenient excuse for mm-hmm. them as to why they're mm-hmm. testing positive for. Yeah, he uh, not, not a big fan of the Seahawks. So with that going on and obviously um, to me that that arms race that's been built up over the past few months is an, an uncovered story. Because we're we're talking about a lot of other things in the NFL, and the NFC West still gets to, in my mind, still gets the that is definitely the toughest division in football. But let me tell you about the Cowboys. Right. Let's talk about the Jets, the Seahawks, <laughs> and the Forty ers and that West with the C- the St. Louis Rams. They are really building it up, and Bruce Arians is now in the NFC West. And I'll tell you what, that is one tough division. But how about Peyton Manning and getting Tim West Welker? Yeah. I mean, it's it, so it's just every time everybody sort of gives it the. The the wave of the hand, like right, think, we we appreciate what you're doing over yeah. there. Still, NFC West, you you definitely definitely toughest division in football. But should we continue to keep talking about it? I don't think so. Let's talk about what's going on in Chicago with Jay Cutler and his new coach. And it just seems that it's still a little bit under the radar. So I'm going to try and rectify that a little bit on this show. And Warren Moon is going to join us. He is the uh, color analyst for Seattle Seahawks football on the radio up there in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, as you know, we're getting ready for another Pro Football Hall of Fame induction weekend, minus Deacon Jones. And uh, I want to talk about all that with Warren Moon. And also, we'll tell, you know, talk Seahawks and how tough that division is. But how about that RG3? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am going to fall a little bit prey to that, too, because I'm really curious to hear what he has to say about what McNabb has said mm-hmm. about RG3 and how RG3 should be cooling it talking to the media about how well his comeback is coming because he's setting himself up for a fall if it somehow, like most human beings on planet Earth, does not go as well as, say, Adrian Peterson's comeback. And everybody has that in their mind's eye in D.C. And the way he's talking about it, if it doesn't go as well as Peterson, if he doesn't come back 100%, then he's setting himself up for a fall, and I'm curious to know what Warren has to say about Adrian that. Adrian Peterson has really made it unfair for everyone else who's coming back from a knee injury now, because that is going to be the immediate comparison. He mm-hmm. set the bar high. Derek Rose. I mean, Derek Rose alone, everyone, his injury happened around the same time. Everyone thought it was going to be Mariano Mariano yeah. Rivera. Mm-hmm. Mariano Rivera is 43 freaking years old. He's my age. Unbelievable. Okay. And he has 25 saves. Twenty-five you saves. You don't he look has. a day over forty-two. Rich. And thank you. And I'm turning forty-four next week, actually. I know. And he he's got twenty-five saves. Didn't skip a beat. Right. But and, he took. And, it, but he took an entire year off. No, he didn't. No, no he didn't. No, no, he didn't. This happened last summer. It happened last June. He was he was active for the first two months oh, of last okay. year. It happened okay. when he was on a warning track on a road it, trip in Kansas City. Right. I know that it was during pre the, the no, warm-ups, but I thought it was during the spring training. No. All right. My fault. No, no, he he didn't. He came back at he came back in in less than a year. Didn't Did he, miss a game in 2013. He's been nope. he's one of the only guys the, over the <laughs> age of 38 for the Yankees that you know whatever yeah. 30. Yeah, obviously Granderson and Teixeira aren't that old, but you know what I'm saying. He's right. one of the core veterans who hasn't hurt himself again. I shouldn't say that out loud, 
But yeah, I want to talk about all that with Warren Moon. And, you know, we have spoken on this show many times about the Punders or People 2 project that we have here. And we, it is movement, Rich. A movement. It's a movement. Thank you, sir. And, um, you know, obviously, by you correcting me, project to movement, that's the tongue that's planted firmly in cheek about it. But we do take it seriously here. And um, Dave Jennings of the famous uh, punter for the New York Giants, perhaps their best punter, passed away at the age of 61 this week to Parkinson's. And I figured, you know what? I mean, he's like the punter of my youth. I grew up in Staten Island, New York. He was a giant from 74 to 84, and then he was a Jet. And then he was in the Jets booth and then in the Giants booth until he couldn't really maintain it due to his disease. And um, I figured I want to talk about Dave Jennings. So who better do that than Harry Carson? Who better do that? Excellent. And he's on the phone right now. The captain... Now here on the Rich Eisen podcast, Harry Carson, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. So uh, my condolences, first and foremost, uh, the passing of your teammate, Dave Jennings, um, one, of, one of the best punters uh, in NFL history. Uh, he's in the ring of honor there in um, MetLife for the New York Giants. What are your thoughts on the passing of your, your longtime teammate, Harry? You know, when you said uh, one of the best punters, not only was he one of the absolute best punters, but he was probably one of the all-time good guys, uh, you know, who played with the Giants, uh, you know, indicated that Dave was the first player that I met when I came to the Giants in 1976, and just talking with him, um, and it wasn't a long, drawn-out conversation, but just talking with him, I felt so welcomed. Um, joining the giant organization. And, uh, you know, Dave and I have been friends over the years. Uh, and, you, you know, I, I think we all are obviously very uh, saddened to know that he has passed away. Um, he uh, had some health issues. He was dealing with the Parkinson's. And everyone was very much aware of that. Um but still, when that time comes, you know, it sort of hits you like a, a ton of bricks that one of your teammates, someone that you've played an extensive, you know, amount of time with, has, uh, has passed away. So he was the first player when you came out of South Carolina State mm-hmm. in 1976. You walk into the facility and there's Dave Jennings, essentially? Harry? Yeah, you know, how they... Um, they fly you up after you've been drafted, and they, they fly you up, and you go through a physical and all of that stuff. It, I mean, it wasn't even a mini camp, but Dave was there. He was at the field house at Peace University, uh, where the Giants' uh, facilities were located. And this was, you know, during the time the Giants' stadium was being built. So everything that year was uh, out of Peace University up in uh, Pleasantville, New York. And I remember meeting him, and you know, I, I thought he was, uh, you know, somebody who worked within the organization. <laughs> and uh, when he introduced himself, then, you know, figured out that he was the punter. And uh, he, he just made me so welcomed. Uh, he, even though he was a punter, he knew what was going on with the team. And he's the guy who um, followed the draft. He, he was a sportsman, you know. 
he was into baseball, he was into basketball, he was into all kinds of sports, not just football. And um, he saw me as a as a guy who potentially could help the team. And so he welcomed me with open arms and, you know, just the manner in which he went about conveying that to me, you know, I always remember. And then, you know, a couple of years uh, later, uh, we wound up going to a couple of Pro Bowls together. And, um, you know, and that was interesting, you know, just being with Dave and, and um, you know, he was such a, you know, football players get this reputation of being sometimes bad boys. Well, Dave was probably one of the all-American boys that, <laughs> you know, you want to uh, associate with or any mother would want her son to associate with to keep him out of trouble because everything with Dave was plain vanilla. You know, he had a, uh, you know, a, a dry sense of humor, uh his, his intellect was probably um, one that surpassed most of the other guys because his parents were educators, and he was an, he, he probably was, um, you know, trained to be an educator. He, he just wound up uh, punting the football, and he had so many other interests besides uh, football that a lot of people really have no clue about. Like what? Well, again, he is about, he he was really about um, sports. Uh, He would read quite a bit, and we'd go on uh, trips. He was a reader. Yeah, and then he went went into the broadcasting business when it was all said and done. Yeah, most guys, you know, after you've played a game, you know, you're not about reading. You're about, you know, getting on the plane and whether you've won or lost, you know, you might play a card game or, you know, horse play around uh, on your way back home after playing a game. And Dave was a reader. He he was about having fun. But um, he he took um, what he did seriously. Uh, when you talk about punting, um, he really took punting to a different level, to, and, and it was, he really chalked it down to a science. He was... Um, probably one of the first guys who uh, really, really practiced to get that ball inside the five or ten yard line when the team needed to back an opponent up. And it wasn't just kicking it right down the field. You know, it was about uh, angle kicking it, you know, to a corner so that, you know, there was a very little um, opportunity to return the ball. Um, I text... Uh, Bill Belichick to let him know that David passed away mm-hmm. because Bill was Dave's special teams coach. And a lot of people probably won't make this connection, but he was a special teams coach um, that coached Dave in 1979 when he came to the Giants. And so, uh, you know, Dave, I'm sure, benefited from the tut- tutelage of. Bill Belichick and you know all of the other um, special team coaches like Romeo Cornell. He was also a special teams coach, and he coached um, Dave Jennings. But um, you, you know he's he's just a guy that you can't help but like, you know, because there were no negative aspects of Dave Jennings. I mean, he was when you hear people say he was a great guy, sometimes it's overblown, but 
quite frankly, Dave was a fantastic uh, teammate, mm. and he was a great friend. What a shame. Uh, Phil Sims tells this great story about, I guess, where he played wide receiver in a practice one day against the the, the defense, mm-hmm. scored a couple touchdowns. Do you remember that day, Harry? You know, that was probably, um, <laughs> you know, nobody wants to hit the punter, even though he's out there you know, playing wide receiver, you do not want to hit the punter <laughs> and and hurt the punter. So maybe some of those passes today were like gimme uh, Oh, passes. no, Phil, because the way Phil tells the story, he beat double coverage and and all of that, Harry. That, uh, well, that... I tell you what, you know what? I, I was not, perhaps I, I wasn't on the field <laughs> during that time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, quite frankly... <laughs> You know, Dave was an outstanding. The, the thing about Dave, he was an outstanding athlete. Period. I mean, he was probably one of the best conditioned uh, players. I mean, he was a runner, and um, he was all, always about his physicality, about being in in great shape. So, you know, he probably could have played wide receiver if, you know, if they were, if they asked him to play. But, it, but the, the way you're saying is that it, it, he essentially had the figurative red jersey on out there. Well, when he when he was um, uh, taking part in those drills with the offense, um, he was probably running against the second, maybe third team defense. Go. Okay, <laughs> I don't think he was running against the first. Certainly not against f- future Hall of Famers uh, like yourself. <laughs> and in that regard, Harry, before before I let you go, uh, my next uh-huh. guest on this podcast is Warren Moon, who is uh, one of your uh, mates going into the Pro yeah. Football Hall of Fame now. By the way, seven summers ago, Harry, seven years yeah. now, you've been in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And to me, being a broadcaster, being there, you and Warren Moon and Troy Aikman and um, also uh, Rayfield Wright, correct, was in your class? Yeah, and, and John Madden. John Madden and uh, then Sarah and White. White. Yes, yeah, Sarah w- White representing uh, Reggie. Uh, her her late husband uh, who went right. in posthumously. That to me, just being there and seeing all of you and the stories that that you had leading up to getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yours being uh, one that's been told many times of of your weight and Warren Moon, what he had to go through as a player just to get uh, to the level of being considered a great. And John Madden, what he represented, and Reggie White not being there, and Rayfield Wright being one of those guys who who. Uh, years before a basketball-playing tight end became the norm in the National Football League. And then, mm-hmm. obviously, the entire class with Troy Aikman being a first-ballot guy. It was, it's, my, it's my favorite class that I've seen go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I've had felt, colleagues of mine from NFL Network get into the Hall of Fame. This was my favorite one. I'd love to know what your memories are now, seven years removed of that weekend in Canton. Well, the most vivid memory for me is that my son in- introduced me uh, for induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And he was going through um, serious medical condition at that time. And, um, you know, I was so proud that uh, he was the one who presented me for induction. And that really is the thing that really stands out. As it turns out, my son is here with me right now. And he is um, a doctor, and he's completely recovered from the illness that he was dealing with, um, you know, seven years ago. And so I'm extremely 
I'm extremely happy about that, but I'm also happy about uh, if you go back and you look at my induction speech, I really didn't have anything written down. Right. And I wanted the NFL and the Players Association to do a better job of taking care of those great players. And I think as a result of sort of blasting both the NFL and the Players Association, I, I think there are better uh, benefits now that the players are able to tap into. And I, I think that the, the pension situation is not still not the greatest, but it has been uh, upgraded somewhat. And so, you know, those are the things that I think about. And, you know, I, I get a lot of former players who, you know, guys who I played with, who thank me for using that platform as an opportunity to better the conditions of former players all around the league, uh, guys who have played, you know, many different generations. And, and you know, now they are uh, perhaps living a little bit better than they were prior to uh, me speaking up. I had, you know, Roger Goodell called me into his office uh, the following April, and um, he shared with me that it was his desire to, uh, make things better. And so, you do, you, know, do you think he those has? Are, those are the things that I feel very, very pleased about. Do you think he has? Harry? Yeah, I think he has. I, I think, uh, you know, I know some of the programs that have been enacted to help retired players. And I know uh, there are many players who have worked on those programs, even, you know, players like Merlin Olson, who passed away, and Jack uh, Kemp, who passed away. And, you know, some of those uh, players, former players, would sit in on those meetings that the commissioner would assemble. And they were not around to see the end result, but, you know, there are programs that have been enacted to to help retired players. And so, um, and obviously, uh, with the new collective bargaining agreement, uh, players are getting uh, more in terms of, of um, retirement pay you know, with the legacy fund. And so, you know, there are players who have made things happen, whether it was me or, or Merlin Olson or Jack Kemp or or any number of players, uh, Bill Willis. Um, there are players who have made things happen, and, um, you know, many of those who are reaping the, the rewards or, or the benefits now really probably don't know what all went into helping uh, to rectify or, or improve those uh, programs. Before I let you go, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about your thoughts on the 2013 New York Giants, Harry Carson, and their uh, trying to get back to the top of the NFC East and perhaps win a third Super Bowl of the Tom Coughlin era. Your thoughts, Harry well, Carson? I, I think defensively they're, they're going to have to seriously upgrade their pass rush uh, I, I think they expected a lot out of the guys up front last year. They did not get a whole lot from them. And as a result, you know, the defense was shredded at times, and you really can't give the secondary an opportunity to, you know, be covering uh, receivers too long. And I think that's what happened, uh, the inability to um, rush the passer effectively. And I think um, – 
you know, from an offensive standpoint, I, I think they're, they're going to be okay. Needed, they needed to upgrade some sp- some spots in the offensive line. Um, I think David Wilson is going to uh, have a good year. The receiver is Victor Cruz. I, I think next, if he can stay healthy, you know, those guys are, I, I think, are going to play well with Eli. But I think it just boils down to the defense stepping up and playing a much better brand of football this year than they played last year. And if that's if if that happens, you know, I could easily easily see the Giants playing at home, you know, in, in the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Harry Carson. Yeah, we're not gonna worry about the cold weather like uh, so many other teams and bands around no, the country. I'm not listen that you, you know? know, like I've told you, I'm from Staten Island. That, that come on. This is this is this is what football weather should be like. Right? Yeah, we don't care about the cold weather, you know. Bring it on. You know, as long as the Giants are in the Super Bowl, I don't care, you know, what the weather is. <laughs> it's 80 and sunny every day if the Giants are in the Super Bowl. Hey, I right. have on good authority that on Super Bowl Sunday, February 2nd, 2014, uh, it's going to be like 60 degrees. Uh, <laughs> I think, um, you know, when, when it was first announced that um, the game was going to be uh, at MetLife Stadium, you know, I, I, I got this um, uh, this directorate, uh, uh, this this message from up high. Yes. Uh, Wellington Mayor and uh, Sonny Werblin and those yes. guys. Yes. I thought it was going to be like a Jet Giant Super Bowl, but I don't know about the Jets. Yeah, I don't know. Sonny, Sonny's not... <laughs> Sonny Werblin needs to get get things moving a little bit more for that to happen right yeah, now. You know, I, I, moving I heaven and earth, I think. Yeah, I think Wellington Merrick can pull some strings, you know, because I, I think he has an inside connection with the uh, with the big guy upstairs, <laughs> and I, I think the Giants going to be there. Harry, you're you're the best. Uh, will I see you in Canton? You're going to make it out this year, or you're going to? Well, I, I most certainly will be there. Um, you know, we're preparing right now to you know go to L.A. for Deacon Jones's uh, memorial service. Oh. So. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, you know, as as a tribute to Deacon mm-hmm. and the 50th anniversary of the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame, I, I would not miss it. I, it's just not going to be the same without Deacon, Harry. I know, I know. I, you know, it's you know, I have I have pictures of of him, you know, sitting at the bar in, in the McKinley Grand. Yes. I mean, that was that was his headquarters. And yes, it was to hear that loud voice and and. The um, Ray Nitsky luncheon to hear Deacon, you know, swear to everybody that he loved football and he'd do it all over in a heartbeat. I, you know, I, I was like, I don't know if I'd do it all over again. But Deacon, <laughs> you know, did he haze you? Did he haze you, Harry, when you got into the Hall of Fame? Essentially, basically giving you grief for how long it took you, or anything like that, or did he? Did he let you slide, Deacon? No, he let me fly. You know, it's interesting. You know, you go into that luncheon and you can't say anything. And you hear all of those. I mean, you're sitting there in this room with all of these great, iconic players. And you're listening to them. And they're pouring their heart out about, you know, being a Hall of Famer. And Deacon is one of those guys that I knew um, before the Hall of Fame because he went to South Carolina State. Mm-hmm. Where I went to school, and right. in South Carolina, you know, we're very proud of the fact that South Carolina State had three Pro Football Hall of Famers: Marion Motley, 
Deacon Jones and myself in Clemson and South Carolina, you know, they don't have any, <laughs> you know, so, you know, we're very <laughs> proud of that. Um, but we had a relationship prior to the Hall of Fame and, you know, but Deacon would let every everybody have it in a jovial, uh, fun way. I mean, it would never be, you know, you're no good and you shouldn't be here, blah, blah, blah. He, he was like the, the caretaker of, of the Hall of Fame and, you know, and that, and that luncheon. He was the one who was, uh, who filled in for Ray Nitsky. Mm-hmm. And he was the one who would tell everybody that, you know, it's the Hall of Fame and you have a right to be here and we expect you to govern yourself as a pro football Hall of Famer. Don't embarrass us. And this is a very sacred um, uh, part of football that very few get an opportunity to uh, be a part of. So, you know, those who are coming in this year, especially, uh, you know, my guy Bill Parcells, um, you know, they're going to miss out on Deacon Jones and and what he has to say. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see who's going to pick up that, that banner and who's going to become that voice for, you know, the Hall of Fame and famers uh, who are in attendance. Harry, I appreciate the time um, talking about Dave Jennings, Deacon, and giving your thoughts on everything. You're the best. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Rich. You bet. That's the captain, the Giants captain, Harry Carson on the Rich Eisen podcast. I know I called him the captain a few times. He is. That's what we in the uh, – New York, New Jersey metropolitan area. The funny thing is, when call you call th- Harry Carson in football, captain for right. is is Thurman Munchen and or Derek Jeter in baseball. And if you say that, or Mark Messier. Cap- yes, captain Mark Messier. It's a very high praise that you give people. Yeah, you know, it's now they just put the C on anybody. Yeah, you know. Well, Harry Carson's a captain, now. except for Cam Newton. He oh, wa- he wants the C, but he wants the C. Well, he's going to have to earn to that, see, I That guess. was fantastic. Harry Carr, what a great man. I mean, we, I could have gone on for a long time with him, obviously. Yeah, but Parcells, I, you know, we'll, we'll hit him up uh, closer to the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. And, um, you know, Dave Jennings, I just wanted to get something out there because he's such a beloved figure in the New York, New Jersey area. I'm sure um, not a lot of people outside of that area. I know, know and I understand that, you know, when our international audience may not know, and, and again, uh, people rag on punters all the time, but... I'll tell you what, I mean, they are an integral part of teams in many ways. And um, and Dave Jennings is in the ring of honor. Dave Jennings wow. is in the ring of honor. She, you know, Sean Landetta was the punter on those Super Bowl teams. He right. la- Jennings was off the team at, at 84. They won at 86 and they won at 90. And um, Landetta um, is, is the guy who everyone remembers. He also whiffed, remember that, in, the, uh, in, in Chicago. Yeah, I think in the 85 mm. playoffs. Remember that? No. You don't remember that? <laughs> Before my time. Well, yeah. He's punting deep in his own end, and he whiffed. Hey. Last thing you want to do against the uh, the, they, the 85 Bears, by the way. they recover for a touchdown? Uh, I don't recall exactly uh. what happened, but go up, put, put, Google Landetta whiff. <laughs> uh, Wilk, I'm sure uh, Sean Landetta would love have it being brought up, but um, the, the franchise record for punting for the New York Giants is uh, – Dave Jennings, 931 punts, 405 more than Landetta. Was he a single bar face mask? Yes, he was. Nice. Single bar back in the day. Back in the day. Back in the day. Love it. Um, and then, of course, there's another New Jersey passing that we're going to talk about later on the show. James Gandolfini, the boss. 
Now, in terms of the New York, New Jersey area, when you mentioned Boss, Springsteen's one, and the late George Steinbrenner's two. And, you know, in many ways, Parcells has that sort of... But did people refer to him as no, the boss? No, they referred to him as a Tuno right. or, or, or Parcells or whatever, yeah. but he had like so, that sort of quality about sure. him. Sure. Right? He could have slipped into an episode or two. But for somebody from the acting world to have that moniker lay, as they're you know dubbed upon them by people in the New York, New Jersey area, it, Gandolfini was a boss. He was. Ah. And and his loss hit me so hard. I know it hit you hard, me too. Me, too, big time. Because he's so larger than life. Yeah. 51 years old. Ugh, that was the most Tony shocking Soprano, thing, that he was only 51. 51 years old. And it was just, it really hit me. And my wife, Susie, and I just sat there for, for a minute or two. Yeah. You know, and I knew. As how, I, did you, how did you find out on Twitter? Twitter? Yeah, me, too. Keith, Actually, Keith Olbermann me too. tweeted it out, and I retweeted it. KO was sitting at the Yankee game. Yep. Tweeted it out, and I saw that, and then it just, boom, it just hit all right. over Twitter. Then I immediately went to where I get my other celebrity news, TMZ. Uh-huh. And then I walked outside. Susie was with the kids, and I just knew I'm going to have to break this gently. Yep. So with the kids around, I, I spelled out the word died, D-I-E-D, mm-hmm. and um, we just sat there. And it really was, it really affected me and it affected us. And we're going to talk about this in full later on with uh, James Ponowazic of uh, Time Magazine. He's there. He's their television critic. He wrote a fabulous piece. There's many, by the way. There's on the been internet. a lot. The I retweeted outpouring. a bunch. It's it's been the, the, the articles about Gandolfini and who he was as a man and who he was as uh, an actor and what he's meant for television drama, actors, and also writers and producers, what he how he portrayed that role at Tony Soprano, one of the greatest anti-heroes in television history. Ever. Um, a lot of people wrote about that. J- uh, James wrote a great one, and he's also a former uh, Michigan Daily, like me. We were on the paper together with Schefter. Uh, it all comes full circle, Another go blue guy. Another Michigan guy. Another Michigan Daily guy as well, the uh, school newspaper. What was the Make name of good. His, what was the name of his column? Uh, he uh, he wrote arts. Oh, okay. He wasn't on sports because you had the get rich quick. Get and rich what, quick. What was, Schefter was chef's, chef's specialty. Special, right. Oh wow, yep. chef's specialty. One guy, <laughs> he's probably out there anyway. <laughs> this fellow's name was Taylor Lincoln, and so his column's name was Lincoln's Log. Oh, and I'm like, oh, dude, no. Every time I read his, I, I even <laughs> said to him. I think I said to him at one point. It just reminded me of of the of the baby Ruth in the pool <laughs> in Caddyshack. <laughs> in Caddyshack. <laughs> Every time I read, oh, here's Lincoln's log. You know what do you call it? Dookie? Boy, I got to tell you, you uh, uh, the the most regular president, Abraham Lincoln. Huh. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> he was regular. He didn't have to take whatever the late 19th century equivalent of Metamucil was, because that president with Lincoln's log. Let me tell you about Lincoln's log. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about that later, though. Uh, uh, we're going to go get all, all Sopranos out. Why not, right? Not I, th- I think we should, Rich. We're going to do that later, but right now let's get should. to uh, Warren Moon on the horn. The Canton Class of 2006 member, second one on this podcast that we're having on right now, joining us, Warren Moon. How are you there, Warren? I am doing great, Rich. Uh, just you know, excited about the summer because once the summer gets here, I know uh, – Training camps are right around the right corner. I can't wait for football. Around the corner. I want to talk about the Seattle Seahawks with you uh, in a minute, but I just got off the phone with Harry Carson. 
Really? Yes, indeed. Because uh, I've you know sp- spoke to Harry about the passing of Dave Jennings and also about uh, you know the Giants. It's always great to talk to the captain. Uh, wh- what are your memories now? Seven years after getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame with what I told him to me was the most entertaining class that I've seen go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It really was. It had a lot of different diversity in it, uh, whether it was you know, having an offensive lineman in there, having a, a great defensive player, a couple of quarterbacks, uh, John Madden, of course, the personality that he is, and then, of course, uh, the widow of uh, the late Reggie White. Um, just a lot of different personalities, a lot of different uh, – aspects of our class but like you said a very uh a very proud class and and one of the things we've tried to do is every year since we've been inducted is everybody's come back and that's something we made a pledge to do when uh when we were inducted to come back every year for the for the next ceremony and, and we've been able to keep that when do you have a talk like that at what point when you're all in the same room i know you're 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 walked around pretty much shaking the hands of every single human being in canton ohio when you go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but when do you uh, have, have that conversation as a group? Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly when it happened. I think when we were at the uh, Ray Nischke luncheon on Friday uh, afternoon. That's the the luncheon where oh, yeah. it's only Hall of Famers involved in that room, and uh, that's where different guys from different eras get up and talk about their experience being in the Hall of Fame, what the Hall of Fame means to them, what their career meant to them, and it's really a powerful luncheon that uh, – all the new guys get to come to and aren't aren't allowed to say anything in that in that meeting, but the next year you're able to come back and talk about your experience. So I think that's where we we came to the conclusion we need to come back every year and make sure we support it because that was one of the things that was talked about in that meeting was how we have to get all the guys to come back each and every year and support the the Hall of Fame uh, induction ceremony yeah. weekend. Yeah, Harry just mentioned that as well and. Um and how it's essentially became Deacon's luncheon uh, after the passing of, of Ray Nitschke. And he he said that Deacon gave him a little bit of a pass because they went to the same college, South Carolina State. Uh-huh. I imagine you being a quarterback, Warren, um, the amount of uh, hazing, in a way, that you might have received from Deacon Jones, I, I imagine he... He might have had something else to say to you. Is that Would that be an accurate <laughs> assumption? Yeah, Deacon and I had a running... Uh a running joking feud, uh, I guess you could call it that. Every time he saw me, all he talked about was what he would have done to me if I would have been playing when he played. And and I would just tease him about, you know, you're too old and slow. You would have never been able to catch me. You know, you you, you were able to sack those quarterbacks that sat right there in the pocket. So we, we just went at each other all the time. But it was it was something we did in humor. But I, I had tremendous respect for, uh, for Deacon because I watched him as a kid Growing up, I, I grew up in L.A. and I was, the Rams were my team, and the Fearsome Foursome were were uh, a great front four. But Roman Gabriel was one of my idols, their quarterback at the time. So Deacon and I go back a long way. Yeah, with uh, when uh, when he passed, we we did a podcast. I don't know if you heard this story from Jennifer Allen George's uh, daughter, uh, her firstborn. She named him Roman. Really? Yes, and everyone was just like, uh, you know, congratulating her on the child and how great that is that you name him after your your dad's quarterback. And then there was one phone call from Deacon Jones saying, "How dare you do <laughs> something like his that?" Name Deacon, right? <laughs> well, guess what her son's sec- her second son's name is? Deacon. Yes, it is. <laughs> She got the message. She got the message. <laughs> yeah, that's one guy you don't want to mess with because you don't know if he's serious or not. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. I mean, one of a kind for sure. Uh, let's get to the here and now. 
because uh, I said at the top of this show that uh, the the arms race of this non-playing season ever since uh, ever since the Ravens beat the 49ers, the arms race going on between the Seahawks and the 49ers, and then a little bit of actual talk going up and down the Pacific Northwest down to Northern California and back has been um, – has been something to behold. I'd I'd love to get what your take is on what's been happening with the Seattle Seahawks and the 49ers since we last saw a game being played. Well, it's turned into a good old feud, you know, <laughs> and and it's uh, usually these rivalries turn out to be more between the uh, the fans than anything else. You know, once once uh, it really gets down to it, it's the fans that really have a hatred for each other. The the two cities, or or uh, like you look at Pittsburgh and and uh the Cleveland Browns or something like that in football or you look at the Giants and and the uh the Cowboys the players don't tend to get involved in it as much anymore because the players are moving around all the time but it's the fans who have that 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 uh, overall tr- um hatred because they've been involved for more years at a time and with the Seahawks and the 49ers now the players are really involved i mean you got a lot of young players on these football teams you've got a lot of established players um because of the two coaches and their history coming out of college at Stanford and USC, it, it all kind of starts there. And then they're in the same division. Uh, you've got the Seahawks who really handled the, the 49ers the last time they played them at the end of the season last year. Their other games had been very, very close. So there's a good old-fashioned rivalry there. Both teams were in the playoffs last year, and they both feel like they have a chance to get to the Super Bowl. So you really can't have a rivalry unless one of those teams, unless both teams have beaten each other, and they have done that. And and now because of the expectations of both teams, not only by themselves but also around the league and by most experts that they they should be in the Super Bowl, uh, that rivalry is really, really uh, getting nasty. And then you've got comments made by you know Jim Harbaugh about. Uh, the PEDs used by the Seahawks and that, so it's it's not getting any any better. No question about it. Well, um, I guess in a way, for lack of a better phrase, what is going on though with the Adderall with with Seattle players? Uh, it just it does appear that more Seahawks players have been involved with those types of suspensions than other players in the NFL. Just at first blush, Warren. Yeah, we don't even know if Adderall is the drug or not, because that's not supposed to be public. Um, and then it's, it's usually been guys between their first and second year that are first time, you know, off season. And it, this could be something that they did in college or whatever, ever is a recreational thing. I'm not sure. Or, or if they're really using it to focus and, and do all the things that they say it does for them. I'm really not sure, but it's immature decisions that need to uh, be improved, and I think the team this year, because of what happened with Bruce Irvin, they got together as a football team and talked about it as a group, and I think the focus is there now that guys aren't going to make those mistakes because not only are you hurting yourself, but you're hurting the football team. So hopefully that problem will be corrected here. But, again, I think it was just young players doing young things, and when you have a young football team like the Seahawks do and very talented, I'm not going to make excuses for them, but a lot of young guys do some very uh, immature things uh, when they're young in their careers, when they're 22, 23 years old. How impactful do you think Percy Harvin is going to be? I think he's going to be amazing. You can get the ball in his hands so many different ways, and he's a very explosive player once the ball is in his hands, whether it's on a bubble screen behind the line of scrimmage, whether you're lining him up in the backfield, 
whether you're putting him in the slot and, and going one-on-one or just lining him up wide and going down the football field. And then he has the, the, um, the kick return uh, possibilities as well. So, so many different ways you can get this guy the ball in his hands, and he makes your quarterback's job a lot easier because once you get it in his hands, he can make a little play into a big one. What about Russell Wilson's second year? Um, one thing that you can say for sure after having met the guy is he's not going to believe any hype at all. And that may be the best attribute that he has of of any of his great attributes. I'd love to see what your opinion is from your seat, being the Hall of Fame quarterback that you are, having seen what he did in year one and what you think year two uh, holds for Russell Wilson. You know, it's his maturity. And I think that maturity is what's gotten him through this far uh, to have this much success in the league so early because he came in a mature player. Uh, He didn't have to figure out how to how to work out. He didn't have to figure out how much time he needed to put in the in the film room. He didn't have to figure out how to take care of his body. All those things he came in there already knowing and the rest of the guys followed his lead, which was unbelievable for a for a young rookie to have this team following him like that. Uh so going into his second year, you know, this is a guy that di- has dissected his play each and every game and he's dissected it throughout the the off season on what he did well, what he didn't do well and where he needs to improve. So he's not going to allow himself to have any type of letdown. Um, he's a guy that wants to be great. He talks about being great all the time, and, and he puts in the work to make himself great. And he's always soaking up uh, information from other guys that have done it, like myself or a Peyton Manning or an Aaron Rodgers. He talks to these guys to get what made them successful. So he doesn't. he's not full of himself. He's, he's willing to take other people's advice, but he also has a great work ethic and a great maturity. So what outside of Percy Harvin, of the many moves that the Seahawks have made, which one do you think uh, is, is one that stands out uh, above all others for the 2013 season? I think uh, Cliff Averill move has a chance to be good if he's healthy. You know, he, he had a foot problem in, in OTA, so they kind of held him out of that. But one of the reasons they got him was because Chris Clements is hurt and will not probably be back till uh, midseason. Bruce Irvin, of course, is going to be suspended the first four games. They have got to do a better job of getting to the passer. I think if there's a weakness on their team is their pass rush, and they tried to improve that this offseason with getting not only Cliff but also Michael Bennett. If those two guys come through, especially in the absence of those other two guys while they're hurt and, and on suspension, uh, and when, once they get back, they're going to be very strong at that particular point, part of their football team. And then uh, th- I think sky's the limit. But they've got to do a better job of getting to the passer because you've got to get teams off the field on third down. What do you think year two for Kaepernick Colts? What do you think? That, that, to me, is one of the fascinating stories of 2013. It really is. I just want to see how he handles all the success that he had and and seeing what the Ravens did to him in the Super Bowl as far as you know trying to hit him every play uh, – not letting him get a chance to run that option. Will he be the quarterback that he needs to be from the pocket probably on a more time basis this year? Because I don't think a lot of teams are going to allow him to run that option the way he does, and they're going to force him to throw the football. So we'll have to see how good he is from the pocket on a, on a more um, a more pass, pass completion basis. Well, your fellow Hall of Famer Rod Woodson said, you give anybody in a defensive uh, unit, any coordinator, any coach, anybody, you give them a full off season uh, to look at film and they're going to shut something down. And so he believes the pistol, all of that stuff that uh, Kaepernick has done. And even uh, to an extent, you know, um, 
Russell Wilson in Seattle, he thinks that that is not going to be the new wave of the NFL. Where do you stand on that? I don't think it'll be the new wave either because I don't think there's that many guys that can do it. You know, you have to have a very special talent as a quarterback to be able to run the option and still be able to throw effectively from the pocket. And, the, and that's where it all starts. All these guys that, that throw the football they and run the option, they're able to throw it from the pocket. So if everything else breaks down, you always – you know, you always have to be able to throw it from the pocket because at the end of a ball game, you're not going to be running the option. You're trying to throw the ball to get back in the game. But I think if you run it sparingly enough, which the way the Seahawks run it, maybe 10, 12 times a game, I still think it can be very effective because teams have to prepare for it. They don't know when you're going to run it. But if you make it a big staple part of your offense, yeah, a defensive coordinator will take that and he'll take that away from you. So it depends on how much you use it in your offense as to whether it's going to be effective or not to me. But I think there's a place for it. Although to do it with Marshawn Lynch and Percy Harvin and Russell Wilson, that's going to be – that 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 might be too good of an opportunity to pass up or just only do a single digit times a game, right? You're probably right, uh, just because of you know how explosive they can be. But I still think if they keep it somewhere within ten to fifteen times a game, to go along with probably the other, I don't know, fifty plays you'd have in a ball game. So mm-hmm. sixty-five, you usually have about sixty-five plays in a ball game. You're gonna you're probably gonna throw on another you know, 25 to 30 times of that, and then you're going to, you want to run Marshawn and get him and his touches too. So I think the combination of those three different packages, uh, the Seahawks are going to be very, very hard to stop. What about RG3? I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, Robert Griffin III and what Donovan McNabb has said um, uh, to RG3, I guess, through the press in a way, that RG3 shouldn't be, shouldn't have done all of the post or pre OTA interviews talking about how great he feels and how he's going to be back in time for training camp and week one of the NFL season, because if his body does not respond or let's just put it this way, responds in the way that most human bodies respond to the surgery that he had to repair his knee, that he's only setting himself up for the fall and for criticism later on down the road. What are your thoughts on that, Warren? Well, I've never been a, a guy, and, and most organizations don't talk about injuries in that type of length uh, and detail that he's been talking about his injury all off season. Uh, so I don't agree with that, and, and it's something that you should keep in house. Uh, it doesn't have to be everybody's business what your progress is, as long as the team is satisfied with your progress, as long as you're satisfied with your progress. Uh, you, you still have a long way to go. Just because you're out there running around and doing things is totally different than getting into a game of contact. So you, like you said, you set yourself up for uh, disappointment if it doesn't work out the way, and then you set yourself up for criticism. So, yeah, I don't agree with how much he's talked about his injury in detail, and I'm surprised that the Washington Redskins would allow him to talk that much in detail because most teams just don't talk about it. Could you imagine Bill Belichick having a player talk about an injury that long? <laughs> well, I don't <laughs> it think just he wouldn't would... happen in New England. That long? It just I don't think at all. Right. Players do that sort of thing. No, they just don't. And I don't know why he's been allowed to do that. But uh, like you said, there's so many negatives about talking about things like that because you might not. Heal the way you think you are, and if you don't, then, you, like you said, everybody always remembers what you said, and, and if it doesn't happen, especially with social media out there and everything else that's going on, you're opening yourself up to a lot of criticism. So you, you agree with Donovan McNabb, essentially? Is what I, do. I do. I do. I just, especially at his position, 
uh, you just don't need to talk about those things. Go through your rehab, get yourself healthy, and if it's time for you to play, then you'll be there. What about Cam Newton, his his next year now? I mean, after that stellar first year, the first half of last season couldn't have gone any worse, the win-loss record, even though statistically, if you take a look at what he was doing uh, compared to his rookie season, he was in the ballpark. Right. But the the losses mounted. And everyone was talking about his post-game body language. Steve Smith even talked about his body language on the on the uh, the bench. The second half of the season, though, went r- swimmingly to the point where I believe it saved his coach's job. Uh, it did, and, and I think he learned a lot from those experiences early in the season about the way he was handling himself. And maturity comes uh, in a lot of different ways, and, and it comes in certain times. And, and that that was the biggest knock on uh, on cam was his maturity on how he handled uh uh not having success a kid that has always had success he didn't handle it very well but you know to his defense i would much rather a guy be down about not winning than than be on the sideline with a big smile on his face so he had to just figure out how how i can be dejected and be hurt inside but not show that and i think he he did a better job of that as as the season went along his play improved as well and he got through that sophomore uh, type of slump situation that started early in the year, and he finished strong, and, and hopefully that will get him off to a great start this season, and he'll be more of a leader. Of all the young quarterbacks, and I know I'm sort of putting you in a spot right now, the three, the rookies from last year throw Cam into this mix. Um, let's throw Kaepernick into that mix too. All these young up-and-coming quarterbacks. Who would you say right now, if you had to lay your figurative – dollars down on and say this is the kid who is going to have the best career of them all who would you say warren sack wow. uh, warren uh, warren moon pardon me what that would you is say? huge that's a that's a big question I, I you know i'm a i'm a big andrew luck guy um i really like what he brings to the table as far as he doesn't do anything bad and he doesn't do anything that wows you but he does everything very good uh, it depends on what he's going to have around him, and I think that's important for all those guys. Russell Wilson, I'm very, very impressed with, uh, and he's got really good talent to work with. Cam Newton is a guy because of his body size and his athleticism. Um, he's another one. I, I just think uh, he's going to have a great career as well, and, and I think longevity has a lot to do with it. So if you look at his body type, Cam Newton might be the one that might last as long as if you're going to be running these these uh, read option type of offenses because he can take a little bit more pounding than some of the other guys do. But I, I'd have to say Russell Wilson and uh, and Cam uh, would be the two guys that would probably have the, the longest, most successful careers. But Luck, you, what do you think about year two? Because his, his guy is now coaching in Arizona right, right now. Exactly. And I know that they went went ahead and got his offensive coordinator from Stanford and brought him in. Right. But – Pep Hamilton. Right. That's all that said. Arians is gone. It it does strike me from what I've seen, what I've heard, and and the conversations I've had with Andrew Luck just about the type of kid that he is. If anyone's going to be immune from that, it it seems to be him, Warren. I think so. But you were talking about long term. Yes. I, yeah. I don't think he'll have any. T- the slump that I think he'll have is only because he probably doesn't have the talent around him that mm-hmm. that some of the other guys do and. Uh, he took a lot of punishment last year. He had to throw the ball way too many times, and I think if he has to go through that again this year, 
that that doesn't bode well for him. They've got to have, find a little bit more balance in their offense to help him out a little bit because, like I said, he took a lot of punishment. He was hit a lot of times last year. Last few uh, minutes with you right now. I'm looking at the Seattle schedule. You see Cam Newton week one at Carolina opening things up, and then it does not take long for NBC to hop on this San Francisco-Seattle thing. <laughs> no, they don't. Right away week two, Sunday night, and then you're home for Jacksonville at Houston. That's the first quarter of the season. Um, and that at Houston game starts a f- – you, you, hopefully you got your bags packed, Warren, because you're going to go on a road four out of five weeks. Right. Four out of five weeks. This team has gotten better on the road, and, and they got better at the last part of the season last year. They really tried – they really kind of figured it out, how to, how to go out on the road and play. But, you know, it's a mindset. It's a, it's preparation. Um, the first couple of ball games are going to be very, very important. You want to get off to a great start. And you're going to Carolina, like you said, who's going to be a much more improved team. You're playing a really good quarterback. And then uh, you're playing the 49ers, your division rival, but at least you get them at home. So uh, those first two ball games will be very, very important for the Seahawks because, like you said, they're going to go on the road, and, and you just never know what's going to happen out there. Warren, thanks for the time, man. It's always good chatting with you. Always great talking to you, Rich. Take care. See you through the season. Yes, hope so. That's uh, Warren Moon, Pro Football Hall of Famer, at class of 2006 on the podcast. Warren Moon, everybody. That was great. How great is he? He's the best. Fantastic. Uh, I know I feel like I say that about every every guest that comes on. <laughs> yeah, but they, you know what? Our guests bring it, Rich. Warren freaking Moon. I can't believe the word sap came out of my mouth. <laughs> you know what? Because I'm looking at the Warren, uh, the Warren sap picture behind me here in the studio. The 99 upside down. Yes, indeed. Um, that was great. And um, that Seattle-San Francisco thing, man, it's just going to get bigger and bigger. I like how Warren said it, too, what we said earlier. You know, Adderall's the the drug that gets thrown around. Yes, mm-hmm. you have no idea. But nobody really knows. What well, I don't know, people might say that to cover up something harder. Perhaps. Oh, Lord. Certainly or, that's what Jim Harbaugh thinks. Um, so that was fun. Let's switch gears now. Okay. Let's switch gears now and um, talk about The Sopranos and James Gandolfini who passed away at the age of 51 from what appears to be an apparent heart attack in uh, his hotel room in Rome. More details coming out, too, just heartbreaking. I know that his son might have been in the room and uh, was the one that just started calling hotel uh, authorities to help his dad out. Um, And um, it's just, I I still can't believe it. It's a stunning passing away, and it's, it's also a way of us... You know, taking stock in our lives, age 51, you know, sure. I'm about to turn 44 next week with uh, two kids, uh, another one on the way. And, you know, it's just it's one of those things you just sit there and you you wonder how how fragile everything is and how quickly life goes and how you have to live your life to its fullest and to its best. Um, and then, you know, you sit there and you, you talk about the, the Sopranos. You kind of reflect and. Look back and laugh and smile. And Your favorite Sopranos episode would be? Uh, long-term parking, where, uh, I mean, oh, yeah. it's certainly a spoiler alert if you haven't seen the show by oh, now. Oh, come but, on, dude. I mean, but, uh, what the, the, the Aaron Rodgers 24-hour <laughs> rule has passed a very long time ago. Where Adriana tells Christopher that she's been uh, talking to the FBI for over a year, and then Christopher makes the decision to whether to go with her and to witness protection, which she's trying to convince him of greatly or stick with his crew. And as we said off air, you know, Christopher is at the gas station buying cigarettes and sees that family and comes to the realization he doesn't want to be a schmuck. He wants to stay with the crew. And well, then, yeah, I mean, well, because Adriana was essentially saying, let's just go. Let's, let's just run away. Let's just run away and go into uh, witness protection right. and, and rat out Tony Soprano and 
rip out the entire organization right. and go away, the two of us, and live there. And and um, he goes out to buy cigarettes right. and fills up the car and sees the family of what four or five yeah. or whatever. And their car the guy is stacked looking miserable, full of whatever, and the guy full of yeah, crap, the and the kids are eating, you know, eating uh, Doritos or whatever. And he jams them in the car and he stares at that. And that's the next thing you see is. Tony on Tony on a on pay phone, phone right. calling Adriana to say, "Hey, Christy's relapsed and he's, he's in the hospital. Right, we got and and we're sending Sylvia for you. And you know it all goes south for for and for you, her. You know what's happening there at that right. point. And then the reason why it's called long term parking is because he then takes uh, packs up Adriana's packs up suitcase. stuff suitcase, which he then throws into <laughs> part of New Jersey that no one will ever set foot in." <laughs> right. And then parks her car at the airport yep. to make it seem to the authorities that she has she fled this the country. Yep. And, and then you can hear the, the and you hear the the intercom or whoever just say you know long term parking is for cars here longer than two weeks. Blah, right. Blah, blah. And so that's why it's called long term parking. Great, my favorite episode. The uh, the chief FBI agent. Agent Harris is played by uh, the, or, the, or the main guy. The main guy yeah. with the glasses right. is a fella named Frank Pellegrino. Whose family uh, owns Rayo's restaurant in New York City? The oh, famed, wow. wonderful Rayo's restaurant. He's great in that. Friends episode. of the program, and uh, so when you go to Rayo's, and you're like, wait a minute, that's the guy from The Sopranos. He's and just his casting as the lead FBI agent. Another, and he's great at it. He's great. You he, think he's an actor, which you know he is, but he also you know, has made. He's got a family business. He's so good. Rayo's restaurant in uh, in New York City. Yeah, that's that that was a that's that's an all timer because it was a major, you know, plot point, a major, major, major character. Major it was a real shocker. Well, because she was shocker. one of the most beloved characters on the show. You know, people really were drawn to her. And the funny thing is she started out as a bit part, but her performance was so amazing right. they kept her going. And then, you know, Tony was uh I believe in that episode too, you know, one of his gumars. Um I guess uh, was hospitalized, right? Because <laughs> she, well, she was cooking herself something and like burned herself, right? And he, um, and, and and he broke it off because she broke it. He because he was going back, to his, going wife, back to his wife, and uh, he broke up with her in the hospital, right? <laughs> and I believe that's also the episode where uh, they're looking for Steve Buscemi's character, Steve Buscemi, right? Because he made some really big stupid mistakes, and he shot well, Phil's, the, shot and Phil's that brother. started the whole Philly Atardo. Right. Uh, which played out eventually in the final, right. uh, final, and, final and season. And that episode's just stacked full of stuff. Same episode where Johnny Sack becomes boss. Right. And remember, they used to always seen that they used was. to always meet under the bridge, and Johnny Sack's like, we can't meet here it's anymore. It's the last moment. We un, can't meet here it's anymore. It's just like, it's, it's not going to happen anymore. He's basically yeah. told him. That was great. Ugh. Great. And, and Tony's cell phone. You know the the ring that you know. I mean, they're just the little things that you would always hear from the Sopranos. So good, right? You know, like I, I've never heard another cell phone ring that way. No, that's that's the Soprano. That's the Tony Soprano. I think my dad used to have that same. Really, is it the same the same phone? Not the same phone, not the ringtone, but the ringtone. I've never heard that ringtone other than on Tony Soprano's phone. Yeah, long-term parking's in a, an all-time. And that's one of the rare episodes where Dr. Melfi's not, not in it. it. Not in it. I know. Mm. Oh, gosh. So let's talk about this show right now with uh, somebody I've, I haven't known. Uh, it's been a long-term situation <laughs> since I haven't uh, spoken to this uh, this uh, top-notch critic 
It's top-notch television critic. Let's get to James Ponowazic now. He is the uh, television critic for Time Magazine, and uh, we go back to the Michigan Daily days, and I figured who better to call up to talk about the passing of James Gandolfini and what he has meant in the zeitgeist uh, of television than uh, James Ponowazic of Time Magazine. How are you, James? Uh, pretty good, Rich. Thanks for having me on. Are you kidding? I mean, we so technically, I just want to make sure we, we go back... You were at the Daily when I was there from, I was there from 87 to 90. When were you at the Michigan Daily? I was, I was there precisely from then until, the, where, did you graduate 90? I did. Did so, you? Yes, exactly the same graduating class. So then you were in Chrysler Arena when we were there for basically a, a big chill speech. You remember the... Uh, the, the uh, Lawrence Kasdan. Lawrence yeah. Kasdan spoke to our graduating class and his... His graduating speech to the class was essentially a big chill message of where all your friends now, when you when they have kids, when they have weddings, fly there. The only thing missing was the Motown soundtrack underneath it, if you remember. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have not actually uh, gone back for, you know, a very uh, uh, uncomfortable weekend. Uh, <laughs> I with, you know. My own Jeff Goldblum and and whatever, but, but yeah, you know, that has stuck with me. That has stuck with me too, for sure. And so Schefter was there when we were there. Adam Schefter was there of uh, right. now ESPN fame. And uh, who else has gone on? A lot of people have gone on to some great things from when we were oh, there. Sure. Uh, uh, like, if you uh, uh, remember Lisa Pollock, of course. She's now, uh, uh, well, besides having. Won a Pulitzer Prize uh, when she was with with the Sun. She's uh, uh, on This American Life now. This American Life, beating the crap out of this podcast and downloads left and right, up and down. That's the number one podcast. Yeah, I looked at the charts lately. It, oh, I have. Don't you worry. I've I've looked at them. I obsess yeah. about them. Um, yeah, and Amy Harmon, right? She's gone on to some bigger and better things as well. Oh, she's That's, doing great at the Times. Yeah, yeah. She's a, a yeah, like fantastic. Science and health and psychology reporter. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, uh, uh, Beth Fertig. If you catch her on uh, NPR, that's she's, right. I believe a, a year ahead of us. Listen to this: this NPR, this American Life, New York Times, and then you know there's NFL Network, Time Magazine, <laughs> like you. Then there's NFL Network. Okay, I'll take it. Well, yeah, but yeah. On the other hand, I'm you know writing some crap about TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm creating TV, I guess, in that regard. <laughs> But, I mean, the crap, what you wrote about uh, the passing of James Gandolfini is anything but that, James. Uh, and and I was talking before with uh, my producer here, Chris Brockman, who's on the horn as well, that, um, you know, the passing of James Gandolfini hit me in a way that passing of, of actors or whomever I've seen on television and been a fan of, it's a different. It's a it's a different feeling. This real. This affected me personally. Why do you think that is for so many people? You know, it it was for me too. And honest to God, I was I was surprised about it because you know, it, it, doing the the writing that I do, I, I, you know, I write a lot of remembrances for TV performers that you know I, I grew up with. You know, I just wrote about you know, Gene Stapleton mm -hmm. uh, last week, uh, you know, just, just, you know, people who have been like part of your life day in and day out. You know, I, I think part of the thing, somebody made, I saw, I read somebody, I think it might have been um, Mo Ryan, the, the, the excellent TV critic for, for uh, the Huffington Post, 
uh, made an analogy to, to Kurt Cobain, which, you know, I, I saw that at first. And my first reaction was, well, you know, that's kind of a reach. But it, it, then, you know, I, I thought about it for another minute, and, and it really seemed to be a similar thing, which, which is that this was another artist, you know, for whom there was like before him and, and after him. Um, you know, and even if, even if he's was not, you know, precisely yours and my age, um, he's certainly of our our TV generation. And and there really was, you know, if if you're at all into pop culture or or into television, um, there was television before The Sopranos and and after The Sopranos. You know, so I think I think that's part of it, and I think you know too. There's just this. Um, I, I I think we were able to sort of. The Sopranos was so much about the psychology of this one guy mm-hmm. um, that we spent you know six seasons getting uncomfortably and fascinatingly entangled in his psychology uh, in a way that that you don't with some you know somebody that you you just see in a movie or whatnot. But I remember when um, it first when it first came out The Sopranos yeah. and you even made a slight reference to this in your piece and again that people can go and and see at um uh, time.com, correct? People can go find your piece yeah, there. Yeah, it's uh, uh up at time.com uh on the on the entertainment page right now. Right, entertainment.time.com. Yeah. Uh you, that that when it came out the the movie analyzed this was famous where yeah where Billy Crystal plays the psychologist who gets the Robert De Niro gangster into his therapy sessions. And I remember, well, you know, here comes a television show on Showtime where it's something similar, except Lorraine Bracco is playing the Billy Crystal role. And then in the role of Robert De Niro is this actor I've never heard of. And I remember thinking, you know, I'm going to give that a shot. And, and my and mind was blown. You even looked at him, you know, he just he's, you know, he sort of looks like a mobster from Central Casting, and you're thinking, okay, so this is the TV knockoff version of Robert De Niro. But then it turns out that what The Sopranos does is this incredibly more psychologically and emotionally sophisticated thing, which is, which is that you're taking the situation that totally could have been parody, um, and... and He's 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 treating it and living it like the experience of you know a real person, uh, you know a terrible person in many ways, uh, and 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 somebody that that you're you're uncomfortable with, um, but but uh, you know also just you know gives it this this tremendous dignity and emotion that you wouldn't just uh, you know expect from from the premise itself and even from everything that you've been taught to expect from mafia movies. In terms of what he means after, let's start with the after here, I guess, after yeah. The Sopranos. What do you think he did as an actor, as Tony Soprano, the legacy that he he leaves based on what has followed on television from The Sopranos? Well, you know, first of all, the, there's just a practical impact in television acting, which was, you know, before this... Um, you know, as you kind of alluded to, TV was kind of looked at as as second prize to movie roles. Um, it wasn't the place where really serious work was done. Uh, it was a place where, you know, as a movie actor, you maybe did TV if you were washed up. 
but he, you know, it, it really was Tony Soprano, and then the, the the numerous, particularly cable drama roles that came after him because of him, that established this idea that you could do work on television that was artistically as admirable as anything anybody was doing in the movies, and, and in fact, you know, often ended up being a lot more ambitious. Uh, And you could do it over a longer amount of time and just create this greater identification and definition of your character than anybody was going to do in a two- or three-hour movie. So, you know, so I think one thing was just practically um, TV acting became, you know, a much more respectable and admired thing to do after that. Now, the second thing is that they're just, you know, leaving aside the, the mafia movie genre, there weren't guys like Tony Soprano on TV before him, which is to say he created this model for having a character who, you know, yeah, he was a criminal, but he wasn't just um, a, you know, villainous bad guy who the good guys were set up against and you were rooting against or whatnot. It was... This guy is very bad. He does terrible things. And now we're going to spend all these years getting to intimately understand him and why he does what he does and how he does what he does and what made him that way. It, it was basically the, you know, the, 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 the model for um, you know, the modern antihero uh, in, in, in TV, which you didn't have before then, but you know, without... Tony Soprano, you don't have Walter White, you don't have hmm. Vic Mackey from The Shield, you don't have, you know, Carrie Matheson on Homeland. You, you really can, think you that? You, you really think that, James? Hour on 24, you know, who's like a, a good guy who kind of has his demons. You really feel that way? That we wouldn't have, even, uh, you mentioned Jack Bauer, 24, we wouldn't have that type of programming or that type of characters? Well, you know what I you know what I think? I, I think you would have, you know, obviously no TV show or actor does this sort of thing entirely by themselves. And, you know, it, it, certainly TV was changing with stuff like, you know, Hill Street Blues and Homicide Life on the Streets and, and uh, NYPD Blue before that. Um, but I think that it was really important that, number one, The Sopranos was a huge commercial hit. Uh, right, because if it had ended up being like The Wire or something like that, something that was very critically admired but not that many people watched it, uh, it wouldn't have been as widely emulated, and so it wouldn't have made such a big change. And I think James Gandolfini was absolutely essential to that because the fact that Tony Soprano was so charismatic and fascinating and entertaining, uh, you know, that was, that was kind of what put butts in seats. You know, it was like the, the, the head of HBO, our former head of HBO, once, once described it to me as, uh, everything on HBO, you know, it, it needs to be ambitious and literary, but it also needs to have like a, a, a TV element, like a popcorn element. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tony Soprano was, was, was kind of that. So the fact that it was so commercially successful meant that a lot of people uh, felt that it was okay to go ahead and try and do that uh, uh, later. And then the fact that it was being done on HBO, which was sort of n- new territory, you know, when, 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 you, when you look back to 1999, there weren't that many other, you know, respected cable TV shows that had been done except, you know, Sex and the City, Oz, The Larry Sanders Show, but just, you right. know, a, very much a handful. So, so this entire field that was going to be developed of, of um, 
you know, a, a new and ambitious shows on cable competing with the networks was formed in the image of, of The Sopranos. If The Sopranos had been something else, everything else they followed could have been a lot different. It's fascinating in that regard, isn't it? Um, I sometimes think what, because you mentioned about how the series quickly was about and then evolved about who he was as, the, as, a, as a person, not just the mobster. And obviously somebody being in therapy in that regard uh, the mother had everything to do with it, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the way. Right. That's sort of the classic story. The mother had everything to do with it, and Nancy Marshawn, who played his mother, it was so crucial in the first couple of seasons. And then the actress passed away. I always thought, what if his Nancy Marshawn had lived, and how would the yeah. how would the series have played out if his if the mother figure had been around the entire six season, you know, decade long run of the show. You know, it's funny because it was the first season was building toward a point where it could have ended with Tony. And I, it, I, I uh, could be wrong in this, but if I'm remembering correctly, it was actually considered at one point that he would actually successfully kill her, you know, smother her at the end of the first season and then she would be <laughs> off the show. Um, but, you know, Nancy Marshall was so fantastic that, that she stayed on. And, and, and I think they would have gladly had her on for six years. But I think an interesting thing that they did was she sort of, you know, she kind of was alive uh, in the background through him. Uh, uh, for, you know, for 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 a lot of that. Uh, you know, even 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 though even though she wasn't around for season three and four and five and six, you know, she kind of she kind of haunted the background. But you know, instead, you you had it developing with you know other characters they introduced on the show. Uh, Tony's relationship with Uncle Junior. Uh, the 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 um, you know the the whole uh, relationship with with Carmela became much more essential and sort of her you know moving back and forth between enabling and 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 fighting with him and, and the fact that they had Edie Falco in that role opposite him she's spectacular uh, you know we're talking a lot obviously about James Gandolfini right now but but the cast they supplied around him uh, you know obviously made a lot of this possible. There's no question. I mean, Edie Falco, obviously, and uh, Michael Imperioli, uh, Stevie Van Sant, who apparently was up for the running of the role of yeah, he was he was considered for Tony at one point, and 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 then you could see it going in a much more analyze this direction if they had gone that way, you know. Right. And well, wasn't Artie Bucco his character? Wasn't he the actor up for Tony as well? Uh, I, I don't recall if he was. I know that at one point, for instance, uh, uh, you know, speaking of like alternative history, uh, Anthony LaPaglia was considered for it. Uh, and this was back when David Chase was originally trying to develop the show for, for Fox. Mm. Um, and, you know, again, if you're talking about what ifs, uh, The Sopranos starring Anthony LaPaglia premiering on Fox in 1999, you know, I'm assuming it would have run four episodes, and we never would have heard anything about it again. And we may never have had Without a Trace as well, James. I mean, just think about the ripple of this pond here. Just think about the ripple in this pond, you know? Um, And in terms of of the show uh, and what James Gandolfini meant, anti-heroes, where do you put Tony Soprano up and and his role? I mean, is is he the greatest anti-hero ever on television do you put Archie Bunker up there even though you know it's sort of apples and oranges Archie's biggest you know I guess 
uh, minus was just, uh, you know, his way that he looked at the world, racism perhaps even. He didn't kill anybody. Or what about Don yeah. Draper? You know, Don Draper is in that mix right now. Uh, I-, I loved that in your piece you mentioned Deadwood because to me Al Swearingen is definitely up there. Where do you rank James Gandolfini's portrayal of Tony Soprano in terms of antiheroes just in television history? You know, this is kind of a cheat, but I would, I would, I would have to at least tie him with, with Archie Bunker because, you know, I mean, that, 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 that raises an interesting point, which I meant to make, which is that, you know, I, I think that he did uh, much the same thing as, you know, Carol O'Connor did. Uh, which was that he he created this kind of character that uh, uh, you know we hadn't seen before that the the problems with him were sort of reflective of problems and anxieties that there were in the larger society, and took a character that could have been portrayed really uh, flatly and and made his made his psychology understandable and in a weird way even made him kind of kind of lovable. I mean you know if if I'm you know, whatever. It, it, it's it's uh, there's always going to be some influence if you're talking about this immediately after you know the actor died. But you know, just for sheer degree of difficulty, I've got to kind of place this a bit above R.G. Bunker because you know, uh, much tougher to make a, a, a relatable, identifiable guy who actually goes out and kills people for a living uh, than you know a you know a a, a misguided but you know, lovable racist who you can blame his outlook on his generation or whatever. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine putting any TV anti-hero above Tony Soprano because it's like, you know, that, that they all, they all flow from him. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, you could very easily say that Tony Soprano was kind of the, you know, he was to drama as Archie Bunker was to comedy. I mean, he just, he showed that there was a different way of doing it. I mean, I, I think you, you're absolutely within your rights to say something like that. And I understand we're talking about the history of a medium, is what we're saying yeah. right now. I think you're absolutely spot on on that, James, because of, I can't believe the man's dead. I mean, just having this conversation, I cannot believe that James Gandolfini died. He's just yeah. larger I mean, than it's, life. It's, it's stun- Obviously, it's stunning because it's so sudden, and it's just one of those things where, you know, you just feel cheated, and, and I just felt it more and more in, you know, in my gut the more I was writing about it last night when I was writing my appreciation of him. Uh, you know, j- j- just the notion that, you know, we'll never know what he could have done. You know, we, 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 we know what he was capable of doing, but we'll never know what he, you know, might have done with another 20 or 30 years. And in terms of just what the show has meant, you know, with what you're saying about how, uh, television was viewed many years as just sort of the the last resort for a movie, a fading movie star, and you know the Sopranos changed that in that regard. Now you take a look at television today, and there are Netflix out there, Netflixes of the world out there that are attracting David Fincher directors like David Fincher to do stuff like House of Cards with Kevin Spacey. Yeah. And and you're going to see more and more directors come and pitch projects to Netflix and places like that. And without a doubt, you can draw, if that's point B, point A is The Sopranos. Yeah. 
I mean, you know, Netflix is, is really doing, you could say they're, they're doing precisely what HBO was doing in the late 90s, which is, you know, HBO was a channel that, it was, that you, you paid a subscription for, and it was mostly known for, you know, uh, uh, reruns of theatrical movies and a few other things. Uh, and, and it realized that if it created things of its own, and got this aura around it from doing that, that, uh, you know, it, it would become something that people felt they had to have. And that's, that's the same thing that, that, uh, that Netflix is doing. Uh, you know, it, um, I think whenever, whenever somebody starts a new medium, you know, or a, a new outlet for creating programming, you have this, like, window where it's kind of anything goes and you can, you, you have a chance to take a few chances and, and decide, you know, you know, figure figure out what happens next, and I think Netflix is still sort of in that window. You know, they made House of Cards, they've made Arrested Development, uh, but it's you know it's possible in the next two three years we might see them or somebody like them do something that is you know in some way that we can't even think of right now, very different from what uh, uh, HBO even was doing. What's your favorite Sopranos episode? Because Chris- probably White Cats off the top of my head. Uh, I, know, I know there are a lot of Sopranos fans that don't like uh, uh, you know, that, that like the mob stuff more than the uh, Tony and Carmel uh, domestic stuff, but I think that marriage breakup, final showdowns, you know, that, or that showdown scene between Tony and Carmela, it, it was just it was so raw, and in a way, like if you've ever, you know experienced or witnessed anybody with, you know, a, a, their relationship just seriously falling apart and reaching that desperate point. It, it, was, it was so emotionally real, even though it was this story about a mobster, it, you know, it, 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 it recreated something that was from life in a way that, you know, even most, you know, most other great dramas that aren't about mobsters don't manage. Uh, I watched that and, final and, scene that, last that, night. It was amazing. That episode was just fantastic. Uh, and you know, then there were there are a few others from it, it, particularly. There's some great standalone episodes in the first season, the college episode. Uh, I think you know is probably pretty hard to top. Uh, that might be on top of a lot of people's lists. Pine Barrens. Uh, Pine Barrens. That yeah. James. That's the one where where uh, the Russian. Right. Paulie Walnuts is in the is with, in is in the forest. Right with Christopher. And they're like eating right. ketchup packets. <laughs> yes. And 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 they're freezing, right? The the, the frozen right. ketchup packets. This is so good. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is, that it had nothing to do with anything really, and they never came back to it. Yeah, uh, and, and I kind of love that they just uh, uh, let that be up there. And I, I will also go on record as saying that um, I I'm not going to say they were my favorite. But I really liked the Kevin Finnerty episodes. Kevin Finnerty. Uh, there there was there was some stuff in the final season that. Uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, wander up, wandered, wandered around and kind of lost the thread, the whole, you know, Vito in New Hampshire uh, uh, thread. But yeah, you know, the, the, those two episodes where Tony was in a coma and, right. and living life as Kevin Finnerty in, in a dream version of his own life, uh, I, I, just, I just thought those, those, those were bizarre and completely amazing. And to get back to James Gandolfini, um, the way that he was, it, after having played for five years you know, this lunk-headed New Jersey mobster, the way he was able to, to completely step into the role of this, what was it, salesman from California, and make you believe that, like, 
he could actually really be this guy, uh, you know, I think was just another great testament to Tony's reign. I just remember, though, that it just it brings me back to being the weekly consumer of The Sopranos and how sometimes you had to wait forever for a season to begin it. Seriously, it makes Game of Thrones feel like binge viewing, right? That you have to wait all this time for Game of Thrones. Sometimes be, a year and yeah. a half. Oh my goodness gracious. Okay, so... It went 18 months between one, I think. Right, so... 18 or 18. I yeah. just remember being so frustrated and then, you know, I understand, and, and I'm a, this way with Mad Men, too, a little bit, James, where it's just like, I don't care what you're throwing up there. I just, if it is conventional or not, I just love your mindset. I'm with you, okay? But there are regular yeah. consumers of television who are like, what is this, for instance, Kevin Finnerty stuff? And also the standalone episodes that have nothing to do with the plot that you're, you're, you're hanging on every thread over, and you have waited months to see, and you knew that the number of Soprano episodes is such a finite number, and each one of them is so precious to have and to consume that David Chase or Matt Weiner or Terrence Winter, whoever was behind it, okay, was in a way wasting this opportunity on whatever vanity project that they had to create a new television experience for them not yeah. you maybe for them and i remember there was a little bit of a frustration level even for me it was just like okay i'm i'm with you because i love what you're doing but for people who are regular consumers they were really frustrated watching the sopranos in that regard well i i think there comes a period in a lot of shows when they've been on the air for a long time and you know there there are points where you, where you feel you're you're watching the creator of the show kind of make the next show that he wishes he was doing after this uh, I, you know, I can, I can see that, but I, you know, I also think, you know, I, I think the Sopranos finished incredibly strong. The last run of like six or seven episodes, maybe that last season would have been better if it had been say a single longer episode. Um, I mean, you know, a single longer season, maybe with a bit less New Hampshire. Uh, you know, I, I, I will grant you that. What do you think happened? Last question for you. What do you think? Do you think he died at the end? Do you think the the uh, dark screen was, in fact, Tony meeting his maker in that booth? Where, by the way, um, they placed a reserve sign in that diner. That was amazing. On uh, uh, Holston sign. I've actually yes. never been there myself, but I've, I've I've heard about that. They placed a okay, reserve yes. sign on that table on Yesterday. on uh, on Wednesday. Uh, what do you think happened? You know, I know people have all these elaborate theories that he died, but but the, uh, uh, and you know, point by point, like I've I've read those two twenty thousand word blogs, and they, <laughs> they sort of seem irrefutable. Uh, and there was all the stuff about him saying, you know, you don't hear the bullet hit you, right. et cetera, et cetera. I, I I feel a to me in my gut, I don't feel that he died, um, and. I think more important that I, I'm not sure that we we were ever supposed to feel like we knew, uh, and you know, and and hence the cut to black. Uh, you know, the, the the reason in my gut I don't feel like he died was that I just don't feel that dramatically there was a point in the story where it, it, at that point in the story uh, where there was another shoe about to drop on Tony at uh, you know at that point. I think you know it's totally possible he would have been killed. You know. At some point down the road by another enemy, by somebody that he pissed off, you know, not to me, you know, it, it, it didn't make sense to me that he would have been offed by this random guy in the members only jacket uh, uh, in the diner. Because in um, theory, the I, war was think, over. You know, the more important thing to me was that, you know, if we were, you know, meant to know that Tony had gotten whacked, we'd have seen Tony gotten whacked. 
Yeah. Uh, it, it, uh, you know, and uh, I, you know, I, I think that, uh, it, you know, the fa- the fact that it cut to black, and then we spent the next six years and eternity after that uh, uh, arguing about it, uh, you know, means that it was meant to be open, but. You know, I, I could be totally wrong. You know, whenever I venture some opinion about this, I'm thinking, okay, so like tomorrow, David Chase is going to give some interview and say that you know he was dead. And, but but uh, that is what my gut, uh, my gut is telling me. You know, um, when it happened, uh, I had a big party uh, at my house. Invited about there's probably about we we got uh, uh, some chicken parm from Dantana's restaurant. Got it in. I mean, uh, we, we we did the whole thing. You know, red wine. About uh, 15 people there. It, screen goes dark. Everybody looks at me thinking, you know, I forgot to pay the direct TV bill. Uh-huh. And, you know, that somebody, you know, had kicked a plug or whatever. Everyone, it's my fault. And I'm like, hey, everybody, back off. I have no idea what's going on here. The conversation lasted so long. That's how long the, the, the screen was black. Yeah, it was like 60 seconds, right. And I was so angry, maybe just about that's the way it ended, and people are looking at me like I didn't pay a bill. Like, it was a little bit personal in that regard. And I was just so angry, but... Each day, James, that passes, I think it was a genius finish. It becomes that much more genius, and that's just what a way for the, an iconic show to end that we're still talking about it. It's, it's yeah. what, six years later now. We're still talking about it, and we'll always be talking about it. Genius. Just genius to me. Yeah, it's because, you know, what, what makes it a great show is that it, it lives in your head. You know, the show's not over when it's over. I mean, it's... You know, it feels to me like I've just, you know, I, I probably haven't actually watched uh, the, uh, the the show in, you know. Years. Uh, at least, uh, I'm sure I probably haven't seen an episode in at least a couple of years. And yet, you know, it feels like I've still watched it yesterday. Incredible. James, I really yeah. appreciate your thoughts. Um, and I, uh, now that we, we, we've connected once again after 20 years, um, I'd love to have you back on. Uh, I'd love to, uh, even in less than 20 years. <laughs> we will definitely shorten the uh, the next time span, so I really appreciate it. Um, follow you at Ponowazik on, uh, on Twitter. You should probably spell that, Rich. Yeah, I'm going to do that for everybody right now. Go ahead, James. You do it for me so I don't have to. It, it, it's P as in Peter, O-N-I-E-W-O-Z-I-K. There you on go. the Twitter machine. <laughs> Could you imagine if Twitter was around for the end of The Sopranos? Oh, my Lord. Oh, my God. No, it would have broken it. Like The the barrage of WTFs in your timeline when it went to black. Well, I think we got a similar aspect to it when Gandolfini passed. That's how I learned on Twitter. Me too. And it just, the the site imploded with testimonials and and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, you know, James. Thanks again. Uh, everyone, go and uh, read the column. It's fantastic. Uh, Entertainment dot time dot com uh, is the uh, is the portion of the time dot com website. And of course, you know, there there still is a, an actual magazine, right, James? That in this, it's two thousand thirteen. We can actually grab a periodical that still exists, right? In our so, day and age, so somewhere somewhere out there, I hear that you can find them. Yes, <laughs> there are, there are apparently these specialty stores that are dedicated to specialty you know blogs made of paper, and you can buy them. It's, it's, it's like vinyl. That's right. Uh, go uh, go check it out. Uh, James Ponowazik on the Rich Eisen podcast. Loved that conversation. That was awesome. The conversation we just had with James Ponowazik a couple weeks ago with John Hine. I think we're 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 on a roll here on that we front. Are.
Yeah, I mean, look, I I emailed you, texted you last night saying I think we should talk about this. Yeah, well, that was a, you know. No-brainer. A no-brainer, correct. And just, um, you know, and and Gandolfini, it should be mentioned, I can't believe it, we're finally going to mention it here, big-time Jet fan. And you know what the funny thing is? Huge Huge. Last week I was thinking, like, just thinking about people to get on celebrities who are sports fans, who are known sports fans. Oh, thinking, I've tried. I've tried. I'm sure you have, well, and I, it zero, just came to my mind, zero, too. For, for Zero Dark Thirty, right. I tried to get him. Because he played the Leon Panetta character. Correct. I tried to get him. And uh, we tried to get him when, um, uh, for a long time, a yeah. very long time. He uh, doesn't do a lot of press, or didn't do a lot of press. A huge Jets fan who, interestingly enough, voiced the America's game for the 2007 Giants. Right. And perhaps maybe, you know, obviously he's a Jersey guy. And um, maybe he also did that because it was about hanging the first loss of the season on your Patriots, mm. which I'm sure he a team he loved to hate. Um, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but as a Jet fan, yeah. I'm sure he oh, enjoyed sure. doing that. And the NFL Network programming department totally gets it. They're re-airing that America's game 8 Eastern time Friday, June 21st. Excellent. And also check your listings. I'm sure that won't be the only re-airing of it. I'm sure. But James Gandolfini voiced that. And also, you know, they did the Missing Rings. Right. Great great series. Um, series as well, anthology. He did the 81 Bengals. So I'm sure that that's being unearthed right now by our programming department as well. Huge Jet fan. Big time. Like, he would be there all the time. Yep. You know, and unfortunately what, what for him, was, he, didn't, uh, he didn't see a he didn't see a Super Bowl appearance in his lifetime yeah. uh, after sixty after sixty nine. Ay ay ay. What was your favorite Sopranos episode? I I, I would go with Long Term Parking too, yeah. and and the one that that, that James, James mentioned, mentioned Whitecaps, about which is the season four finale. Which I I watched that clip last night. Well, just uh, so much had been simmering between between you know Edie Falco and and right. Gandolfini's character between Tony and Carmela. And it just exploded, and it really was, it's just two actors just going for on it. On top of their game. Ugh. On top of their game. And, um, you know, again, you forget how iconic The Sopranos really is and, and was, you know, when you see current shows. And I mean, I, 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 I really agree really with James. I thought it was really neat that James said what he said. Yeah, I completely agree. There's no Walter White. Exactly. There's no Pave Vic the Mackey. way for all these guys, all these different shows. and. And I was going to bring this up with James, but Gandolfini was an unknown. He had the one major role in True Romance, you know, but that was six years prior. Right. And you think about all these new shows now that are coming out. It's pretty much established actors who are getting the main parts mm-hmm. of these anti-heroes. And Gandolfini wasn't that. He was a nobody. And he just knocked it out of the park. There was it was style uh, home run. I, I know. And uh, may he rest in peace. Absolutely. Uh, Alex, do you want to get the latex salesman on the phone? Because so he in our final remaining moments. Let's he, do it. Is he on the phone? He is right now. Is that Chris? Is this? Is this? Is the caller there? Is Chris Law there? That is me, Richard. How are you doing hey, today? Hey, how you been, Chris? We miss you. Do, do you do you really miss me? Because <laughs> you know I did catch the last two podcasts, and uh, I believe you know you guys mocked me a little, and then Brockman added in the. Uh, you know, Rich, I like it a little better when it's just you and me <laughs> into the conversation. Well, I get a little more mic time, that's all. Well, uh, Chris, and when you were gone a few weeks ago also, with the keyword <laughs> being also, um, and you were gone, and I think we 
I told I threw I, it took all of ten seconds to throw you under the bus in the taping of the podcast, and then we we mentioned how we wanted to see if you listened when you weren't on, uh, it was sort of as a test. If that wasn't an indication of what happens when you leave in future <laughs> circumstances, I don't know how this comes as a surprise to you as to what's happened over the past couple of shows without you. Fair enough. Fair enough. I have I have missed some time lately, but it's oh, some of it was vacation, some of it is work related. I've I've moved on from New York City. I'm now down in Nashville for the first time. Oh, really? Are you doing a piece on the Titans? Uh, no, I'm not doing a piece on the Titans. I have, oh. a, another, I have a wedding. Oh, uh, another wedding. Another another wedding. wedding. Love so, it. So, what was the part that was work related yes. here? Okay, yeah. Let me let me ask I, that. You know, the site hmm. survey in New York for Fantasy Draft Week, which is coming up August 22nd to the 24th. You know, that was that was work related. How long does it take to survey a site, Chris? Uh, one day. <laughs> <laughs> one day, Chris. We haven't seen you in a month. Is, now, is that well, site is that site Radio City Music Hall? Which you've... no, it's, it's it's Liberty Theater actually in oh. Times Square. We narrowed it down. We had to check a few venues. And, uh, oh, you okay. Know, yeah, the shorts. We had to figure it all out. But you'll be proud of me, though. I did stop by the original uh, soup soup guys place. Like, uh, soup Nazi. Soup Nazi. Ah. Did, you, did you get Mogatani? Of course I got mulligatani, and it was delicious. <laughs> I didn't even know what mulligatani was. I, I had to look it up. Now, if the latex salesman is getting that, you should have taken a picture of the latex salesman at, at the soup Nazi place. Yeah, how do we not? How do we not get we? I get pictures of uh, of of canes on airplanes and stuff out of your Twitter account. <laughs> that I come see. I mean, we get your feet at the beach. Yeah, the least get, you could have done was a on. bowl of soup. Yeah. Well, I got a photo of the actual establishment, but okay. I didn't get one of me in it. I didn't want to soil the, 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 the picture, you know? All right. It needed to be up there. Is your lovely but, uh, wife with you, or are you solo uh, in Nashville? No, no, my lovely wife uh, just checked in a little bit behind me. She flew in All um, right. from Toronto. She was in Toronto for work, and she's actually doing some work at the hotel room, so I had to, I had to get out and you know, walk the town. Walk the town, so, which, yeah. by the way, is a great Nashville song, <laughs> Walk the Town. You have to uh, you have to send me some spots. I know you've been here before a few times. So no, not really. I mean, I've been there a few times. I've done karaoke uh, with Kara Henderson a couple of times in Nashville. In Nashville, and let me tell you something. Okay, I I I do a great Sinatra karaoke. I can bring any. You put me in any house with a karaoke machine with Sinatra on it, and I will bring it down. Give us a little fly me to the moon. Right? No, 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 no. I'm not doing it now. There's no a, music. No, no. I mean, seriously, I don't. I don't. I don't take demands or requests in that regard. But you, if any any karaoke spot, you, it in okay in Nashville, Nashville, the people who do karaoke there are all like if you're out here, it, it's like going in Los Angeles to like an acting bar if there was such a thing, <laughs> right? And you'd get your ass kicked. <laughs> they're all professionals. If you wanted to act right, so go, they're all professionals there. It was ridiculous. I was waiting, you know, like it was one of those things where you go to the booth, you're now like 15th on the list right. because the whole place is ready to, and they're all awesome. Just crushing it. Incredible. Huh. And then I get up there. <laughs> it, you know, I still did very well. You know, don't sell yourself short. I forgot. Uh, short, Judge. You're it, a tremendous slouch. Tremendous slouch. Yeah. But, yeah. I'm not a big karaoke guy. I'm uh, not a... I, I don't lie about my vocal abilities. I know they're awful. And I don't want other people to ask me. Oh, I know that. that I'm terrible, but I still enjoy grabbing the if mic. If I'm well lubricated, I don't care as much, and I'll do it. But if I'm 
What's your What's your go-to song, Bronkman? Uh, you know, I, I do lots of different ones. I'm one of those guys. I you think you have to have a go-to well, listen, karaoke listen. song. I think it's funny. I think it's funny to do girl songs. So I like. Yeah, to sing. Even call me, call me maybe. Was it, no, stop was it, it, stop it. I like to oh, sing okay. Madonna. I like to do like a prayer, which okay. is good. And I like to do Tom Petty. No, I have. No, listen. I've got various songs. Right, go-to me too. Songs. It depends what the mood is or the atmosphere. I have. I have my. Here are my two Sinatra go-to songs. Okay, one is "That's Life," period. End of st- house brought down every time I do "That's Life." Then I do if the mood strikes me my way. Okay. Okay. And what you do at the end of my way, you take the blows and you did it my way. You take the microphone and you throw it down on the ground and walk out of the room. <laughs> I mean, you take them, which I've done at a Pro Bowl. I did that at a Pro Bowl. And if we ever get Peyton Manning on this show, he watched it. He was there. And I woke up the entire complex that night because I banged it out and I did it twice (laughs) because the the power went out midway through. Willis McGahee was there. Ed Reed was there. All of them were there. (laughs) They saw it. And I just took that microphone and just, boom, slammed it down on the ground and walked out. So that's a walk-off. I also have, in case the mood strikes me, Brandy, You're a Fine Girl by Looking Glass. Oh, good one. Okay. Is a really good, underrated karaoke song. And then, hold on a minute. There is, there is. I understand, I relate to Chris Brockman. You have to have a female song. Right. For, for irreverence, for, for our ironic, but I go, I just take, if I'm going to sing a, a female song, you, I've just got to just do it so absurd <laughs> that it's off. I do I Am Woman by Helen Reddy. Excellent. Wow. Hear me roar. Hear me roar. My wife <laughs> hates when I do that no, song. Numbers too big she, to ignore. Susie <laughs> hates when I do I Am Woman. Dude, she does not like it. She does not like it, but I, I've done it a couple of times. I mean, karaoke, that's it's, it's not about you, moment. it's about the crowd. Yes. That's, that's yeah, a, but that's what we're all about. We're about right. pleasing Absolutely. Others. Nice. Law, well, anything, was, anything else? I was, um, well, yeah, I got some news, actually. I got a guest for us for next week, um, confirmed. Okay. In studio, a very interesting chat with uh, Brian Banks. That would be great. We all know his story. Yep. That's going to happen on Tuesday. And... Uh, Potential other guests in the works as well. So, you know, I'm doing some work while I'm on the road here. Oh, uh, you're a factor. You're always a factor, Chris. Just trying to be a factor. How was Warren Moon and uh, our boy Harry Carson? Great. Awesome. Fantastic. We just had a great chat on uh, yeah. about the Sopranos as well with uh, James Panawazic yeah. of Time. Were you a Max. Sopranos guy, Law? I, I was. I got into it late, though. I wasn't an, an original Sopranos guy. Like, I didn't start it its first few seasons. But you've, you've finished it, right? You're all done? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Did you see? You guys see HBO's Twitter account today? No. They uh, they turned their avatar to just black, mm. and uh, and they said, you know, it was they was the you know an homage to the final scene going dark, and obviously him. Oh, it, was a, it was a really good tweet that, that they did. Well, Chris, so. I'm going to give you an opportunity to have some fun at my expense. I have to end this podcast because I have to go to a meeting. Oh, that's fitting. Full circle. Isn't it? Full <laughs> circle. <laughs> <It's> full circle. <laughs> when do you come uh, back? Do you come back to work at all? Are you coming back? Uh, when are you I'm coming like, back? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm here till Sunday. I fly back Sunday, and uh, I think I'm actually off Monday, but I got to commit. You're I off I'm Monday? Off. I'm coming in, though. How are you yeah. off? Because <laughs> I'm working a week. I was scheduled on a Saturday or Sunday, so oh. I was is off he, on How Monday. is this guy off? I don't know. 
But uh, now we're going down to San Diego, it looks like, all this stuff's coming out. So are you going to come with me? I am. I'm, I'm coming down. All right. The, there's an EA Sports extravaganza next week. Oh, my yeah. invite's lost on, in the mail. That'll be on NBC Sports. Well, he's coming down yeah, for work. He's coming down for work. Oh, it's yeah. pretty awesome. They're uh, they're the, what, they're playing on the aircraft carrier, right? The USS. Uh, what? Uh, yeah, the USS whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> Midway. The Midway. The USS Midway. Yeah, they're playing. Uh, you know, EA Sports has an annual um, right. uh, Hall of Fame worthy um, flag football game to announce the arrival of the the newest iteration of of Madden football. Who is on the cover this year? Do we know yet? Mm-hmm. Uh, Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders oh, is on the cover. Excellent. Yeah, Barry Sanders on the cover. Uh, he'll be there. Barry always shows up. He plays one down and then sits it out. <laughs> Veteran but, move. But um, uh, celebrity uh, and also former Hall of Fame player cool. filled game, and they're having it on the uh, first couple of years they did it in Malibu. And then right. they did it uh, two years ago in uh, Bryant Park in New York City. Last year, I believe it was in Chicago. Is Warren playing in those things? He I usually, think Warren Moon will be yeah, there. He, and then this year, it's on uh, it's on the air, the deck of the uh, USS whatever. And uh, and the midway, I'm pretty sure. Oh, you sure about that? <laughs> I'm, I'm not so sure. I lived there for five years. I've been on the damn thing, and I can't remember. <laughs> You traveled oh, out, bro. You're the best. So yeah, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna tape some interviews down there. Cool. And uh, by the way, last I just came back from uh, Cleveland myself on the set of Draft Day. Oh, yeah, filming more stuff. Just figuring one last one last minute to before Damashek strolls in here, and I gotta <laughs> I gotta uh, I, I gotta then go here. to my meeting. Um, yeah, Great. Uh, for taped a couple interviews that'll be airing on NFL Network, and also the entirety on this podcast. Jennifer Garner and Kevin Costner. Oh. If I may drop oh, some names out the door here. Some of the best sports movies ever he's been in. Well, I asked him. I said, take your, your take yourself out of your out of the equation. What's your favorite sports movie of all time? He probably couldn't name one because they all star him. That's all star No, he, he named a couple. Yeah. And um, that's called a tease. Uh, Chris Law, safe safe journey. Vaya con Dios. And hey, man, um, take it easy Monday, will you? <laughs> You've been working too hard. On your, I'll be in, enjoy I'll that, be in on Monday. Enjoy that off day. You deserve no, no, it. W- you deserve it. Get a massage. It, how, how much was I getting ripped on this one beforehand? Like, no, no, not at all. No, 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 no. no. You're going to have to listen. We, we, we waited, we, we waited to, for you to show up to do it. Waited for the girl. Well, I, yeah. I also want to just thank Alex Wilk because she, obviously he stepped in and carrying my whole load of the thongs. Oh, you how's, noticed that, have you? How's that burden been, carrying the whole load? Carrying the whole load. It's been tough, but I've, I've soldiered through. I will, I will say this. I've done more work producing this podcast than Brockman oh, has. Oh, my <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, buddy. I'm not quite sure why Brockman has the title of producer. Oh, no, to be wow. Keep that face. Hold on. Keep that face. I'm out just like T-Bone. I'm out. I'll see you later. Hold on. Keep that face. I'm taking that picture right now. Hold on. Hold on. Here we go. <laughs> I mean, yeah, buddy. For, forget the 65 oh, television episodes. Oh, it's my it's so Lord. hard to click record, pause, oh. and butt it all together. Oh, I occasionally oh, have to switch the volume, too. Oh, so, occasionally you know. the volume gets switched. Interesting. <laughs> carrying, yeah. the whole, carrying the whole load is also on the same album of, uh, as Walk the Town. As Walk the I Town. I believe, yeah. yeah. Quick international <laughs> shout-out, Rich. Go for it. Richard yeah. Greenwell at Shine Sambora. Hey, Chris, Giants fan who listens to the show in Turkey, Italy, London, and Berlin in the last two weeks. Well done. Multinational. 
at Alex C. Wilk. You got it. Thank you for filling in for at Chris Law, who's in uh, Nashville right now. Happy to carry the loot. <laughs> Chris Law, travel safe. Via con Dios, sir. Will do. Thank you, gentlemen. Enjoy the, the weekend. And uh, tell everyone I said hello back in uh, Los Angeles studios. Yeah, they miss you. They, <laughs> they miss you. They forgot what you look like. They really do. That's Chris Law See for at Chris Brockman. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Rich. Great, uh, I great wanna, one today. I want to thank uh, Warren Moon for coming on. Everyone follow him at, at WMoon1. Uh, Harry Carson has no Twitter. Not that we could find, at least. None. Uh, well, you think so. Did, did you said you you looked for it and, and, and looked, a porn star? Well, I don't know up? if it was a porn star. I looked. I saw a couple of words that made me think it was not that slipped the through Hall the firewall. <laughs> the the normally exactly. rock solid Sam Chan IT firewall. Exactly. I hightailed it out of there before I got the okay. referee popping up on my my screen. Okay. Um, so Harry Carson and uh, and uh, and follow uh, James Ponowazic at Ponowazic. Do you want to give me that one one more time, or I'll do I'll do it. It, it spell it right, right. You it, don't you want to get the bell. You don't want to get do, the spelling bee. What bell. I should what what we should do is we should write it out, put it on a wall, and I should cover one eye as I spell it out, because <laughs> that's the way I feel. Uh, Not P- a lot of vowels in that one. At p o n i e w o z i k. Everybody. Got it? Because you're not going to get that repeated. <laughs> well, <laughs> they can just toggle it back. To, to on their, Hit on the their, little 15-second uh, rewind. And they're listening to us. Go. Uh, I am uh, at Rich Eisen for At The Eisen Podcast. I'm and for all of us here at the Medill School of Journalism, thanks for joining us. I'm Richard Eisen. Stay listening, dear friends.